there was a narrow tank coming up out of a, uh, the ground. And it was surrounded by a donut of water. But just down at the bottom of the water, there was tar. Who knows how thick it was. And uh, tar preserves things. And the cat had served many purposes. But I lowered this cat in there. Uh, And then about a year later, came back and pulled the wire, and the cat came out, impregnated with tar. And I laid the cat down on the ground and came back another year later. And it was a perfect marriage, cat and earth. Tar impregnated cat in earth. And I have a photograph of that, but the cat did end up um, in a scene, but it was unrecognizable. Welcome to the Sunday Movie Marathon. Wait, what movie was that? Herb. That's just David Lynch saying some stuff. <laughs> you look on like YouTube, there's like a, a wealth of um, David Lynch uh, just being weird. He's um, the director of Mulholland Drive that we're going to talk about. It's just like a, this crazy dude. <laughs> well, and that's just something he riffed on in, a, in an interview for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. He's insane. This... <laughs> that guy that was strange. What he did during the filming of his first film, A Razorhead. There's mm, like on he... the on the Blu-ray, there's like a a clip of him telling the story, and he goes, "It's like right over there," and the camera just pa- like pans down. It's just like it looks like a rock from. It's just unrecognizable. <laughs> Mate, these yeah. a- these directors, they're all fucking weird. He's he one of the weirdest ones man. I've ever seen, to be honest. In the that worst same, combination is wh- when in you that same a- interview, someone asks him um, if he's weird, and he just goes, I'm not actually that weird, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's almost like saying, I'm a nice person. If you have to say it, you probably are it. <laughs> then like, you look at all these other interviews or like clips from like him directing, and you're like, this guy's something else. You seen like, the plaster of Paris video yeah. of him like someone's like it's plaster of paris and he's like plaster of paris plaster of paris bullshit I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like this five second clip and i'm like what's the context because <laughs> he wanted he wanted something specific and they brought it they didn't couldn't find it so they brought plaster of paris because they thought it was like they're gonna be the same thing and he just got super <laughs> angry these directors we'll say <laughs> who fucking cares how long a, a scene is <laughs> That's my favorite. Like that kind of guy. He, he hates like people watching movies on their phones. It's like when you watch a movie on your phone, you are not getting the intended experience. You can't watch a movie on your fucking telephone. <laughs> I've never. I don't think I've ever watched a David Lynch movie other than Mulholland Drive. Um, mm-hmm. And I've never seen interviews with him. But he sounds fucking nuts. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> it just sounds batshit. Should we get into Mulholland Drive? That's not the first recommendation, is it? Yes. Oh, was it yours, Chris? Yeah, it's David Lynch, my favourite director, so... Ah, right. A lot starts to make sense. <laughs> yeah. Explains a lot. So, I picked um, David Lynch's, I think it's 2001 film, Mulholland Drive. Um, the film is about a girl, played by Naomi Watts, who moves to LA to start an acting career, but when she moves into 
her aunt's house, she finds a woman called Rita who has basically gotten into a car crash and is suffering from amnesia and she just wandered into the house. So the two then decide to go on an adventure together to discover who she is, where she came from and put the pieces together. Like the rough plot, there's a lot more that happens and it's told in a very strange, not really structured way. So yeah, what did you guys think of Mulholland Drive? I was not invested in this movie, not in the slightest. Um, so when I started watching it the other day, I sent you guys a message, didn't I, didn't I saying that the film was boring? Yeah. And watching to the end of the film, that opinion still stands valid. Uh, it was some of the some of the acting in it was just so strange, and um, like. I've started saying, rather than movies are bad, that I'm just not invested in them because you can't really say a movie's bad because everything's subjective. But yeah, I was not invested in this movie um, one bit. Didn't like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this movie three times now. Um, I love it. I've, when I watched it first, like Chris got me the Blu-ray. I thought I was having like a particularly hard time. And I watched it. I was like, it certainly took my mind off things, but I have no idea what the hell just happened. <laughs> so like, I didn't even know what to think of it the first time. And then I watched it a second time and I sort of got more about what I, what I thought um, it was about or like more that I took away from it. And the third time, um, I think things did sort of, it clicked a bit more with me. Um, and I still loved it just as much, but just things felt like they served more of a purpose when I had what I thought was going on in my mind. Yeah. yeah. When I was watching it, it was definitely a movie where I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to watch this like more than once to really understand what's going on. Yeah, I was exactly like that. I've seen it a few times also. And the first time I watched it, I don't think I'd watched any other David Lynch films too. I think it was the first one I watched. And the first time around, I actually like hated it because I didn't understand anything. I just thought it was super slow and boring. And then I watched it again, like oh, like five, six years later, and it was just like a completely different experience for me. Like I was super invested. I loved everything that was going on. I actually kind of understood what was going on. Um, and now it's like probably my favorite film by him. It's one of my favorite films. Maybe it's the same as um, Eyes Wide Shut, where uh, you've kind of that film was like when I initially watched that, it was pretty slow, uh, pretty boring. But again, that that's another film where I would have had to have watched it a second time to probably really give an accurate re- like opinion and review of the film. But that's like going in, like watching this movie by the end of it. That's exactly what I thought. It was very reminiscent of how I felt going into. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, that with a lot of David Lynch movies. To be honest, he's that kind of director. Yeah, I was gonna say is like he he the sort of director that. Because like Chris said, the movie, like, when I was watching this movie, there were so many scenes that are just, like, it's in, intercut between, like, so many different, like, plot lines in this film. Well, not plot lines, but character and their own subjective plot lines. I was like, what? <laughs> we're literally just with two girls and now we're with, like, someone who's killing people. Poor janitor. <laughs> yeah, it does. It kind of comes together in the... um final act um i think a lot of the pieces come together but it's it's one of those films where i think it's it's a mystery as is like pretty much all of david lynch's movies and 
the way he tells stories isn't like like a like the way a standard director would where you've got a clear beginning middle and end he tells us films where he gives you basically all the pieces of the mystery in a completely all over the place fashion and you have to try and have kind of put all the pieces together yourself and i feel like this film is a, like a great example of that like because basically he scatters all these pieces of this mystery throughout and if you like break it down and analyze it and obviously rewatch it then it makes a lot more sense like thinking about what the film's actually about i've started getting into since doing this podcast um i've really been getting into movies where like that's sort of the case where you're watching it and it's not as like straightforward like you said where there's a first second and third act that are very traditional i'm kind of really enjoying like the films where you kind of have to pay attention to them because like like i said when we first started this like my favorite movie genre is just stuff and just watch it and not really have to pay attention to really understand but like watching the arrival when i like really paid attention to that there was so much stuff that i noticed that i wouldn't have done if i weren't paying attention to it and it made the film a lot more interesting and i feel like that's the same case with like eyes wide shut where um when i did start paying attention to that film it did get more enjoyable because there was just so much going on and all these things that you were putting together and yeah it may have been the case if i were watching this and paying attention but it just lost my interest very very quickly I've never seen any of David Lynch's other films, so I don't know if it's just his style of directing that I'm just not interested in, or whether it's just like the one-off film that I wasn't really interested in. But um, I'm really, really getting into films where you, it's it's like that, where like throughout the movie you can put things together and kind of see where it's going to end up. You have to pay attention to do so. Yeah, this is kind of a film that y- you never really know where it's going to end up. Like, yeah, it's kind of it's not something where you can like from the beginning you can predict where it's going to go he's constantly taking you down different avenues and showing you weird things and it can get quite overwhelming and confusing which is why it's definitely a film that you need to re-watch to really get the full experience I think. Yeah I think people could look at it and like on a surface level be like well that was bullshit and I didn't enjoy that and um, like it was just like trying to be really like interesting and metaphorical and it's not really saying much and i think that it's sort of like when you when you look at a movie and you go well what was the meaning of that if you like try to search for like one singular meaning for like at least mulholland drive you're not going to find much um like the the second time i watched it i was just like along for the ride i didn't really try to find any meaning in it it just sort of i let it take me where it where it wanted to i had a much um a, a better in uh a better time with that uh, the second time but this, uh, this the third time watching it it was sort of like i didn't have to think about what exactly it was about but it was more like these pieces sort of felt together and in, in a in a certain type of way and i got i got a lot of like i don't think it's about one thing it's like it's about a lot of things i think i got a lot of um meaning about like this exaggerated portrayal of hollywood i think david lynch is trying to express sort of how he feels uh, film is kind of a means of creative and personal expression, but under the factory setting, um, 
you're restricted and it's all about money and business and fame and I think that's really heightened uh, in like the, the crazy characters and the weird things that they do in this movie uh, around like trying to get this movie made yeah like there's that um the scene where um Justin Farouk's character like um meets the studio execs and stuff and they're just all sat in silence and it's just super tense and then just out of nowhere this guy just explodes and starts shouting because he didn't like his that coffee scene, yeah that scene was fucking hilarious yeah, they just brought so the espresso good. in and he's just saying to him like it's my movie and he just stands up and shouts and you're like what the fuck <laughs> i love it he like dribbles was- the coffee out onto the napkin he's like the- i'm very particular about my coffee and like we're like We've got the coffee for you, all right. We've got the best coffee in the world for you. And he just like spits it out onto the onto the napkin. And this other guy gets up. He like just screams. He's like, "Coffee!" <laughs> what the hell is there was, happening? There was a part of the movie where so is it Betty? It's the name of the blonde girl that's with Rita. Yeah. Yes. So when she arrives, and uh, obviously she jumps in the taxi, goes to her aunt's house. So there's a shot of. I think it's like the old woman, so her aunt and her aunt's husband driving in a cab just in the back seat of it. And it's just like yeah. <laughs> five to ten seconds and she's just there smiling at the camera and like her husband's got this like these massive glasses on that are fucking super thick and she just like taps his leg and then it just ends. I was like, what was that? That's um made cackling. Yeah, that's not her aunt. I think that's just two people that she met on her flight and she was just talking to. Oh, well, mm-hmm. yeah. It just, it just made me laugh. So I was like, how yeah. random. It was like that the, the old man just sat there in his glasses. He just looked like um, the kid from Up, the old man from Up. <laughs> they come back, don't they? The uh, the old people, they sort of come back yeah. uh, towards like the end. It's weird. They come in as like tiny, tiny, like little figures coming through her door and then like scare her to death. Yeah. They like crawl out of a bag. (laughs) So, like I said, I've not watched a lot of David Lynch films. What else has he done? Um, This is probably his most like, probably his most well-known film, I'd say. Um, It's got the film Blue Velvet, which um, Max and Reed are very vocal about their hatred of. Did a yeah. film called A Razor. Yeah, we, we've 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 heard that discussion. <laughs> um, his most I think like people normal know about Elephant Man. Yeah, lot. I was gonna say his most normal films like The Elephant Man or his version of Dune he did in the eighties. Obviously, Denis Villeneuve is now doing a new version of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, none of these movies I've I've seen. So I actually went into this movie with no reference points of what I was going into. Yeah, I was the exact same yeah, when I saw it. It's an interesting first movie from Lynch. Yeah, and like I said, I, I didn't like it at all the first time I watched it, and it took me a couple of years before I tried anything else of his. I think it was The Elephant Man I watched, and I was like, okay, I want to check out more of his stuff. And I watched A Razorhead, which is just batshit nonsense for an hour and a half. Um, I think yeah. that's like the case with, with a lot of films that you just go into and you you don't really like them, or they're not really interesting the, the first time you see them, but then, like, on a second viewing, um, just something clicks, or you just enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, yeah I find so that I with all of his of films. favourite movies. Yeah. Yeah, I find with all his films, like, upon repeated viewings, I notice more things, or I understand the film a little bit better, and that's one of the reasons I love him so much, because 
when I watch his films, I don't like leave them like completely understanding everything I've seen and completely knowing everything. But it makes me just like stop and think and make me want to return to him to piece all the pieces of the puzzle together. See, I I feel the exact same way about, and this is no way comparing these franchises together. That's exactly how I and probably a lot of comic book fans feel about the Marvel movies because there's so many comic book references within these movies that, like for people, like for you and Max, for example, that haven't read much of the comics, you probably don't un- like get a lot of them. But every time I watch a Marvel movie, I notice something new that is a comic book reference or that's um like just straight out of the comics, and it's interesting to go back to. And uh, yeah. So I completely understand why you'd be a fan of David Lynch films or films in general where there's so much detail that you that you'd have to go back and watch it a few other times. It gives it gives the film replayability without having to be in the mood to watch it. You want to understand it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, context is important. You know, I wouldn't say like watch Mulholland Drive and then maybe if you don't like it, go back to it like a couple of months later. I would probably say like watch Mulholland Drive if you don't like it, maybe. Or like, if you want to get more out of it, maybe watch more David Lynch's movies before going back to it again. Because I think the context of like how he makes films um, holds a lot of weight when you're trying to get into like Mulholland Drive or any one of his films, really. If you just know who he is as a person or like how he likes yeah. to make movies. Yeah, when it whenever Chris has mentioned him or spoke about him, he's always seemed like the director that's not like very traditional so i'm guessing like yeah watching his back catalog and understanding what it is it's pretty much just going in with a reference point understand yeah definitely um i want to go back to what you were saying connor about the acting being very weird and um that's something i really love about his films generally like he always has actors and like dialogue and writing that's just really strange and like obviously artificial (laughs) and it's like it makes it almost like quite awkward to watch at points like there's a lot of like just conversations in this film that are just really strange and like there's nothing like inherently weird about what they're actually saying it's just the way they deliver it it's just super weird and unnerving in a way like yeah yeah that helps so, that helps with like the um the portrayal of like hollywood i think that i feel is very strong in this because i got like the commentary on the hollywood system on my first go round on this movie so i think that sort of feeds into i mean you look at like really shit movies or like like the acting is just terrible but it's like the acting in here is like it's not terrible it's like really good but it's like supposed to make you feel that kind of way yeah well, like Chris was saying about it being awkward, it's like, I first noticed it when Betty arrives in Hollywood, and she's like looking around, and she's like, where's my bags? And the taxi driver just like, she looks back, and he's just like, where you're headed? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't how the scene played, it was just how it was done. It was just so, like, it wasn't bad, but it was just like, what? <laughs> Do you like the part of the beginning? Where like these people are just dancing and it's just like layers upon layers of uh, shots with people dancing and then like Betty's there with these two old people or something. Yeah, I, I that didn't understand the introduction of the film. Yeah, that's yeah. how it starts. Yeah. I didn't understand that till watching it this time around, and I realised that um, 
after there's that plot twist where you find out about um, Betty's real identity, um, she like says about how she won a dancing competition or something. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't See, notice that until this time around. didn't notice. Yeah, I just thought it was just a random yeah. thing that he threw in at the beginning. Well, there's a lot to take in. There's so many moving parts of this movie. I love when um, Adam, the director, goes back to his house to like, and he finds his wife in bed with Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> and then he like takes her jewelry and like mixes it up with a bunch of paint. And Was then that she's Billy like, Ray Cyrus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she like sees him take her jewelry, and she's like, "You bastard!" And then Billy Ray Cyrus is like, "He's probably upset, Lorraine." <laughs> He's really good in this movie. I love him. Yeah. Mate, that's I fucking did not even recognise that was Billy Ray Cyrus. The guy from Hannah Montana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that is his primary role. Fucking both hell. his scenes are really funny. That's the only thing I've ever funny. seen him in. To be fair, same. Yeah, both his scenes are really funny. Like I love the um it's like that really bright jazz music that's playing and it makes it like weirdly comical. And I I love yeah. the scene where the hitmen come in, like asking for where the director is. He just keeps calling his name mm. and then punches his wife and Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> and still is like calling his name out. <laughs> so much of this movie is really comical. I just, I love how, that's a good, good thing about David Lynch as well. He knows how to put comedy into his movies without it seeming forced. It's just like the situations, like when you're watching this movie or like any of his movies, they're presented in such a weird way that an absence of comedy would probably feel weird. So you need these these moments to sort of take you back and just be like, yeah, this is the kind of film that we're watching. Yeah, but I think it's done in such a way where obviously it's meant to be comedic, but when we watch it, we're like, yeah, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's like you should... Maybe it's got like the kind of vibe where you feel like you shouldn't be laughing at it, but it is just inherently funny. Like when Adam gets a call from like his assistant or something, she's like, you've got to meet the cowboy. So he goes up to this ranch in the middle of the night, meets this cowboy, and he's like talking really seriously about this film. He's like, you've got to cast Camilla Rhodes as the main actress. You've got to say, this is the girl. And then he's like, um, you will see me one more time if you do good. You'll see <laughs> me two more times if you do bad. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? That, that scene made me laugh because he's on the phone to his, his assistant and she's like, do you want to, if you need a place to stay, you can stay around mine. He's like, no, no, it's fine. I'll find somewhere. And she's like, oh, you're missing out on a good time. And he's like, run along now, little... What? <laughs> and then, yeah, he meets this cowboy and the lights start flickering. I'm like, who is operating these lights? Like, this is an entrance. <laughs> I think... um. The funniest scene for me is the scene with the hitman where he accidentally shoots someone and like he has to oh, yeah. um, through the wall. Yeah, so he shoots this guy and then when he's cleaning the gun, accidentally shoots it and shoots this woman in like the butt and then like he tries to kill her and cover <laughs> it up and there's like a janitor who sees it and he like calls him into the room and then shoots him and he shoots this vacuum cleaner Honestly. that he's got and then all the lights and like the alarms start going off in the building, which is so ridiculous. It's literally that, that, yeah, you're watching that and you're just like, it just unfolds and he's like, shoots him, shoots the girl in the ice, tries to kill her, drags her into the, the other room and he's like, you've got to help me. Pardon me. And so, you've got to help me. She's injured. I can't do everything on my own. 
just pulls around and this janitor just like mongingly walks up the corridor and just walks in. <laughs> yeah. It's just that it's that a, a perfect example of um David Lynch's sense of humour as well. I think me and this guy would get along very well. I would put up with his weirdness. Yeah. He's crazy. He's just like on YouTube now, just doing like weather reports. He's just like, it's um sunny today. Uh, slight chance of precipitation, 14 degrees. It's like that weather forecast out of that um, weather forecast out of Family Guy. What's it like? It's raining. Thanks. He also does a, I think it's a daily thing where he says, what number is it today? And he basically just like has this big um, glass ball that's got loads of like tiny little tennis balls or something with... um numbers on it and he just shakes it around and pulls out a number every single day <laughs> again these directors a eh? strange bunch he's got to do something in lockdown to i also get a lot busy. about like yeah i get a lot about like identity and how i think people belong to others or aren't who they're perceived to be you get that a lot with like the different names of uh and people who look similar to each other like, there's, like, a moment in this where I feel we go into a different uh, universe or, like, an alternate reality where everything's kind of the same, but things are just different. Like, uh, Betty and Rita have different names. Uh, like, Betty's the one who was down on her luck uh, after trying to get into the film business and um, Rita, who's now called Camilla, uh, she's just this really big superstar. Um I just I found that really interesting. Like I didn't understand what the hell was happening the first time. I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this, even though like their names are different and just like the things are changed. And Betty lives in this hovel now, just disgusting hole, and she looks awful. I had no idea what was going on, but I kind of understand it a bit better now. I would say because they go into like this blue box thing. The camera zooms into this blue box, and. And then we're in this other world, so I, that's that's what I got from that. Yeah, I still don't really understand what happens there, like what what like the actual like timelines and stuff of the film are and how it all links together. But I don't have a problem with I mean, that. I like I the fact that, that I don't know everything. Feel. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how I feel throughout the whole movie. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna watch it and pretend like I know what's going on. Yeah. That entire like I got third the act that Betty is just was... an absolute mind fuck. Like some of it's like quite oh, yeah. disturbing, but most of it's just like really confusing and strange, and I just don't really understand a lot of it. Yeah, there's like the part where they come out of the house, and then like this weird effect happens, and I just I figured this was like quite a while into the movie as well. But I think that up until then things have been like relatively normal when you're talking about, like, a David Lynch movie, I guess. But then after that, things just go crazy. Yeah, you got the... I, um, after watching this, I definitely on. think, at some point, I'm gonna need to, like, bunch up uh, a list of all the movies we've watched and just highlight the ones that I have, like, just not made sense of. And I will just have to sit down and watch them again and just see if I can understand them just a little bit more. Yeah, that's the problem when you recommend movies like this that you need to watch. You definitely do need to watch them a second time, even a third time, especially with Mulholland Drive. It's just this crazy film that you can't really make sense of unless you've seen it like 
10 times or whatever. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I think um, that we do recommend those kinds of films on this uh, podcast, but I think it's it's good to get a variety, you know. I think uh, Paranormal Ascendancy is one of those films where you really have to watch it a few times to like, understand what's going on. No. So I would recommend you guys watching that maybe a second or third time to really understand. I've already the seen it like where the a second time in the film. Why? Oh yeah, you what for your YouTube video? Yeah, pretty much had to watch the whole film again while writing it. Oh, you poor man! You poor, poor yeah. man! <laughs> I've got a lot of um, different scenes like written down that I love. Um, one that's quite early on in the film is um, that it's quite an iconic scene now of um, the two characters like discussing a dream in Winkies, the restaurant that comes back a lot in the film. And like these two characters are like, mm. just discussing this dream that one of them had. And then they walk out like, cause he's like, I saw this person over here and he's just this um like jump scare where this weird, like homeless person like just comes out from behind this wall. <laughs> it's just such a great scene. Like I find it super creepy, but really weird and i think that jump scare is like really great as well that um so the guy that's delivering that little monologue where he's talking about his dream that's uh i thought i recognized him from somewhere and he he's an actor in well i say an actor he just played a a, like an episode in grim yeah he he does a lot to do with this movie but yeah he's like talking about his dream he's like i'm sitting here and you're you're at the the cash register and you look at me and you look frightened more frightened than i've ever seen you and then I look through the wall. It's him. He's the one who's doing it. I'm like, what the hell is happening? And it's like, he hopes he never sees that face outside of a dream. And then he goes out of the Winkies. What a name. And then he goes, and then he goes around the corner. And there's just this weird, like, troll thing. And then he dies, like, <laughs> out of fright. I'm like, holy shit. There's also, like, uh, a picture behind the scenes of David Lynch, like, with his arm around that troll uh, <laughs> yeah, as well. It's really funny. Isn't that on um, one of the art cards that come with the Blu-ray? Oh, God, I don't know. I don't think so. Fair enough. That'd um, be cool, though. <laughs> yeah. I love um, Betty's audition scene, where she's, like, um, auditioning for this big role, yeah. and it's like she's acting, like, in a really sensual and like sexualized way i think it's like a perfect example of what those auditions actually are like and how like sexualized the film industry is especially when it comes to the treatment of women and i think naomi watts is just incredible in that scene yeah she's really good you just get sort of taken away with that scene you forget that you're watching the movie that you're watching and you get transported into this scene that they're acting within a movie and that that guy was like really creepy as well. It's like this yeah. old guy. He's like, uh, "Hey, Bobby, I want to play this one nice and close." <laughs> oh, child, man. Maybe this guy was like, like a representation of Harvey Weinstein before Harvey Weinstein. Maybe get a lot of I've... creepers like that in the in the industry. He says I, like, I um, "Hey, Bobby, I want to play this one fair. nice and close." Yeah, he says, um, "Like we did with that other one with the black hair," and I was like. Does he mean like Rita? Because she loses her memory. She has to like 
get her name from a poster that she sees inside this house. So I think yeah. I think that was her. I'm pretty sure. And it's like this thing where I think Betty is trying I think it's like when we when we see the um alternate reality, it's like uh Rita's the one who's successful except now she's called Camilla. Um and they were in the other reality they were supposed to cast Camilla as the girl in the movie. So she's the girl in the movie, I guess. And there's like this thing that I feel like Betty is very self obsessed in the in the original universe, where she's sort of she's trying to make Rita like her. She's very she sees a lot of herself in her maybe or like she she gives her like a wig and then she starts looking like her and then there's like this is whole thing to do with like identity as well i think um <clears throat> like betty tells rita that she's in love with her when they like have sex and she's like because this is after she's got the wig so i think betty sees her as herself and she loves loves that like the idea of like being a star and so she sees like this personification of herself in another person and then in the other reality, it's like she she wasn't able to do that, or like she she wants to be where Camilla, who was Rita in the original universe, uh, is in this universe. Yeah, he kind of um with Naomi Watts's characters like paints the two sides of Hollywood, where you got like the first half, which like represents like that blissful Hollywood dream where you think you'll go there and everyone will love you and you'll like be successful and stuff. And like the second half is like the reality and how like you get destroyed by its falsities. If you try and dive deep into it and don't have the talent or aren't attractive enough. Yeah. There's like, there's a waitress at like the Winkies as well. And she always has like a different name every time you see her. Or like, um, in the first place she, she was called Diane and then reminded uh, Rita of Diane Selwyn and then that was like sort of mirrored in the other reality where Betty who's who's now called Diane in the other reality uh, sees the waitress and the waitress is called Betty there's just these, these parallels here that I I probably picked up on more this time around yeah yeah I'm I'm definitely going to need to watch this film a second time <laughs> it'd probably help um, <laughs> there's, fuck um, you David w- Lynch Making me watch films twice. Yeah. There's one other scene that I want to mention because um, it's a scene I really love. It's the Club Silencio scene. Um, I love the build up to it. Like, you've got Rita basically waking up in the middle of the night just loudly saying Silencio, which is just really eerie. And then they go into the club where there is. Um, a woman singing a um, Latin cover of Crying by Roy Orbison, and basically it's just her lip-syncing it pretty much, and then she just, like, passes out, and you've got um, the two girls sitting in the audience, like, crying during it. It's just... I think it's an incredible scene, like, just the camera work, the music, all fantastic. I love how dreamlike it looks. The, The song choice is great, and... Just something about it is just super powerful and emotional to me, and I don't really know why, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, I get that. I definitely, I got that like the first time I watched it, you were like, there's one point that I always cry when I watch it. I'm like, it's that scene, it's absolutely that scene. Because it's just, it's very, it's very filled with emotion. You can see how emotional the Rita and Betty are getting. 
is like it's all it's all recorded. It is, it is an illusion, not a banda. And like I think that's that also speaks to like the betrayal of Hollywood as well, where I think like if if sure it's all an illusion, it's all recorded, but they're still getting this emotional reaction from it anyway. So I think like you get like film purists being like, oh, this is this isn't real art because it doesn't do this or like it's factory made and it's like you can still make a factory movie and have it be important you can still have it be influential and have people emote like you would in like some sort of art house movie you know just yeah <laughs> yeah i think he packs a lot into that one scene i think it is quite possibly my favorite scene in any film ever made it's just something about it i just oh, really, really love. <laughs> yeah it just Blows Fantastic. me away every yeah. time I watch it. You get like the the old man who was in the the hotel showing Adam to his room come out onto the stage. I think I noticed that this time. I was like, yeah. "Is that was he staying at the Silencio? I guess he was." Where it's like this like seedy place, and in in the background that like you go into all the rooms, and they're like not very nice to look at, or it's not a very nice place to be in. Then you go onto this stage. And it's beautiful, and everyone's loving it and acting like really emotional towards it. Yeah, just generally a great scene. In the, um, in the original DVD that I owned of the film before getting the Blu-ray, there was like in the there was like a little booklet inside that had David Lynch's ten clues to unlocking this thriller. It's like ten clues to pay attention <laughs> to to understand the film. What this film oh, specifically, right. Mulholland Drive. Yeah, which is really weird because he never normally <laughs> does that. Like he likes confusing people and people like going away not understanding what they've watched. Yeah, he's Maybe the kind he of just... guy who like if if you asked him today, I don't think he could even tell you what half the movie is even about. <laughs> yeah. It just makes so little sense that he's even like, uh, I don't know, not a clue. <laughs> yeah, and um. There's like a documentary on the Twin Peaks Blu-ray where um one of the actors is like, I walked past the room when David Lynch was in the editing room once and he was just, he was watching a scene back and he went, you know what, I think that was what I was trying to do then when I was making that. He's like, <laughs> apparently David Lynch doesn't even understand sometimes what he means. Well, that's like art, you know, it's like this sort of, Oh, in its purest form is like you just in the you're in the moment and you're trying to express what you're feeling in that moment and maybe it doesn't make sense to you afterwards but it's what it's it made sense while you were making it I just I love that about David Lynch yeah and I think maybe it doesn't make sense maybe it doesn't make sense now but it definitely made sense to him when he was making it but there are also like times where I just think that David Lynch has been and oh, I'm gonna do this just because I want to do it like it's and it's weird you know? And then he's like, oh, shit, yeah, that's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah. He um gets, like, apparently, like, pretty much all of, like, his surreal imagery and stuff just comes from his dreams. And, like, I can't imagine having yeah. dreams that weird and vivid. Yeah, he has some weird, weird dreams, man. You, like, see a lot of his shorts that he does or, like, the art that he makes, um, like his sculptures or his paintings. And you're like, oh, my, what, what kind of dreams are you having, man? These are so weird. <laughs> He's not an Maybe okay he's a lot person. of cheese before bed. That wouldn't surprise me. He seems like the sort of person that, like, 
would eat cheese and drink a glass of wine before bed every night. <laughs> Just to have the most fucked up dream he can possibly have. Yeah. The um the film originally was meant to be a TV show, like it was meant to be a spin-off of um Twin Peaks at one point, which was like his TV show he made. And it he made this pilot, but the pilot wasn't picked up and Sh- Studio Canal, the studio who financed the film, basically gave David Lynch 7 million dollars to take the pilot and complete it, like film loads of new scenes and turn it into a film. So a lot of it was meant to be a TV show at one point, and it just never happened. Well, it works as a film, honestly. It works as just this big two and a half hour hit, and you get out of it, and you're like, what the hell was any of that? Not two and a half hours, is it? Hour and 45 minutes? Two and a half hours. Oh. Well, the DVD, that I, the Blu-ray that you gave me, the back of it was like an hour and 40, 47 minutes or something. It didn't feel like two and a half hours. Maybe because I was expecting it to be like an hour and a half. Yeah. No, it is. It's like two hours, 20. Jesus. That's yeah. like when I looked at the time um, for Braveheart and I was like, oh, this film's fucking three hours long. Yeah, yeah that was how I felt. That's how I felt you watching it as we well, but this? we'll get into that. Could you imagine if we watched this in like the normal format where we just binge all the films in one day? This would have yeah, been a, be a fucking long marathon. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah. I think I would have had to have taken a long break after this film because it just drains me every time I watch it. This was the first film. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I think that would be... Like, if we did this while we were just sitting here um, all together and we had to, like, watch Mulholland Drive first and then, and, like, immediately after watch something else, that would be, like... <laughs> that would almost be, like, a disservice to the film, honestly, because I, I do always, like, once it ends, I sit through the entire... The entirety of the credits, you just like sit back and like just go, oh, what? And like, if I if I just turn something on like immediately after, I right, would just, I I don't know, I don't think a lot of it would it would it would seem less important, maybe. Yeah, I watched yeah. the Muppet I, Show it, straight after because I thought I needed something light-hearted instead. <laughs> that is almost like when I used to watch horror movies and get scared at night, and I'd watch like a comedy or something. It was usually. Hot Fuzz of Shaun of the Dead, just to like chill myself out before going to bed. Yeah, and this is quite creepy in a lot of ways. So it does have that. I think a lot of David Lynch movies are quite creepy. Um, just, I love like the music as well. It sort of reminded me of uh, I've been getting into Twin Peaks recently, and I think Angelo Badalamenti's score is just really fantastic. Yeah, he's one of my favorite composers. I love him. His his um his scores aren't like really flashy or like stand out or memorable, but they're like very moody and like subtle and atmospheric like he does a great job of creating tension and i f- just love what he does in this yeah. film especially he creates a vibe that's for sure anything else to add to this movie i'm i'm done by the way like i'm just yeah. happily here listening to your guys interpretation of this film because i did not get a lot of this that's quite interesting <laughs> no. to hear you guys talking about it because then I think back to like certain things in the film and I'm like oh yeah like when you guys mentioned about um it, the take on Hollywood where it's like uh the lack of creativity or the restrictions you have for films it's like I was just sitting here thinking back to the scene where he goes into the meeting with the guys um and like with the film execs 
and they're like he's like oh that's my film and they're like yeah it's not anymore and it's it's like yeah it's yeah. pretty much just almost like <clears throat> representation of how studios this is the exact same thing with Zack Snyder's Justice League studios take too much control within films yeah. and don't let the director their vision um really express their art in in that film or instead films although going That's off like the trailers thing, like and pictures Vinch, of he... the justice league film maybe it was a good idea they didn't give him complete control over that mate it looks so much worse yeah like there's have you seen but i think you guys if, seen if, that like picture of took... the joker is jesus yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i thought we were free of jared leto's joker after we got um joaquin phoenix's one i was like oh no, we're straight back in. You can't have that kind of inter- interfering with a David Lynch movie, though. Not on that level, at least. Like, no, I can he, imagine um, what you guys say. So I was just going to say, I can imagine from what you guys say, David Lynch will just like lose his shit if anyone tries to take too much control of his movies. I can imagine he's just like the sort of director that will just act like the director did in this movie. Where he started smashing up the guy's cars. Yeah. He um his third film was his version of June, and that's like he hates that film because the amount of like studio interference there was like they were constantly making him change his vision and um they were constantly controlling him and I watched it like less than a week ago for the first time and it's an absolute mess it was just terrible and then ever since that he's basically when he's making a film he wants he says straight up to begin with he has complete creative control and there's no studio interference at all and if they want to interfere he won't make the thing with them and i think that's part of the reason why he hasn't made a lot of films in total yeah i think i like a healthy middle ground with david lynch maybe he doesn't have like studio interference but maybe just people he can work with who he's close to that maybe he can steer uh certain ideas in the right direction because like I think I heard from you, Chris, that Inland Empire was basically just him and only him, like solely his idea. And I really hated that movie so much because it was just like this whole just mess of just bollocks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I got out of it and I was like, not only was that nothing, it was really boring and nothing, none of it made even the slightest bit of sense and looked horrible and like just, just nothing re- resonated with me at all with that. Um, but when when you have people who are working on a project with you who are also passionate about that idea, you can get a lot of great results. I think that's probably what happened with Mulholland Drive. Yeah, just working cohesively. Yeah, this um saw him get uh his third best director Oscar nomination, his third and most recent one. He hasn't, mm. he didn't win a single best director um Oscar. But um, last year he won an honorary award for fearlessly breaking boundaries in pursuit of his singular cinematic vision, as the Oscars said. <laughs> Very nice. So it's like it's like flies in the face of what they're about too. It's weird. Yeah. So I go- well, at least what they're about like now, you know. So I uh, I googled that picture that Max was on about about uh, David Lynch with that homeless guy, <laughs> and. I think I found the right picture. It literally just looks like he's sitting next to a, an ape. <laughs> right. No, yeah, before I say that. Sounds about right. Yeah. Like, literally, 
just from the way the guy is dressed with his face paint as well, it literally just looks like he's sitting next to a monkey out of um, Planet Apes. You know, the very old ones where it was just people in fucking suits. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the ones from the yeah. 60s. So, That's great. It's a great... Uh... I don't know sure. about you boys, yeah. but I'm I'm ready to rate this film. Yeah, yeah, sure. Honestly, this is obviously the kind of movie that you could talk about endlessly if you if you felt the need to. But I think it's it's good bullet time here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, as I said before, David Lynch is my favorite director, and this is probably my favorite film by him. I'd probably go as far as to say this is like a top five all time favorite of mine. I just discover something new every time I watch it, and it's a film that I never get bored of, and I think I could probably watch like millions of times before I die. It's just a film that resonates with me very deeply in different ways. I'm going to give it um, 10 coffees out of 10. Coffee! (laughs) Very good Uh, impression, Max. I could have done it louder, but I didn't want to annoy the neighbours. (laughs) <laughs> um and the wi- and the windows open so they would definitely hear it. It's that neighbor um, he's being fucking weird again. <laughs> uh when I first saw this movie I didn't rate it. I thought it was like insane. I had no idea what to think of it. Um and the second time I watched it I had more of an idea. I was just like I still kind of don't really understand what's going on. And the third time I've watched it I understand a bit more, but there are a lot of things that I still have absolutely no idea about, but it's very viscerally affecting to me, and I just I love the journey that the film takes me on. Uh, it's definitely my favorite David Lynch movie, and again, yeah, one of my favorite movies. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to have been introduced to it by Chris all those uh, months ago. I'm gonna give it ten coffees out of ten. <laughs> right, so. I haven't had no idea what was going on through a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say this with every movie where it's one of those films where you have to watch it more than once. That the the review that I give is probably not going to be the most accurate because of that reason. Maybe if I'd watched it two or three times. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to base this upon how I felt watching the movie as well. Uh, at which case I'm going to have to give it a four. Four out of ten. The film wasn't bad, but because I had no idea what was going on for a lot of it, it made it very hard to be interested in. Um, and not only that, I'm very, very new to David Lynch's films, so his style of directing I'm not accustomed to. Um, but as I, yeah, as I say with all of the straighting, but just from how I uh how I feel at the moment, it's definitely a four. Also, my laptop just froze, so all the review that you just heard is just going to sound like a massive hiss. Nice. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, boys. I know, it's only, like a, it's only like a small portion of it, so we'll be fine. I yeah. chat shit anyway, so... You should yeah. um, watch some more David Lynch movies. Do a race yeah. ahead. I want to watch this... That'd be a fun one. I want to watch why you both hate it and why Kai gets really annoyed when <laughs> you say you hate it. Yeah. Mm. That's a movie that I wouldn't be opposed to watching again, honestly. Um, even though I hated it with my very soul. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe yeah, we'll I recommend want... it at one point. Yeah, I want to get Kai on to do a guest episode for that film at some point. Mm. 
We should get Reed on as well and just let them have their debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll leave and just have them on. All right, uh, All right, Max, away you go. I had a movie recommended last episode. It is directed by Mel Gibson from the year 1995. It is called Braveheart. Uh, in the late 13th century, uh, William Wallace revolts against the English who occupy Scotland after his new wife is murdered by English soldiers. Uh, Wallace leads the Scots in the first war for Scottish independence against King Edward, uh, King Edward I of England, who they also call Longshanks, uh, seeking freedom from their oppression freedom! and revenge for his lost and revenge for his lost love. What it what? Huh? I will be honest. When this film ended and it came up in big letters, the first thing you see after this film ends is directed by Mal Gibson. I don't know why I just burst out laughing. <laughs> I just, I was like, fuck off, did Mal Gibson direct this film? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? It starred. This did not feel like three hours. I strangely enjoyed this movie. Um, which is, like, obviously I've seen Mel Gibson and other stuff, um, and I've seen, like, clips of this movie, obviously there's the whole meme about they may take our lives, they may not take our freedom, and all of that sort of shit. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Now, the story plot... ...where it's, his new wife dies, and then he just revolts against... The, the system that is causing tyranny. Um, obviously, this came out way before Spartacus did, so uh, Spartacus is obviously whatever it is. Um, but I enjoyed Mel Gibson's acting in this. It was... <laughs> some of the scenes were just funny to watch. Like, when he's meeting up with, um, like, that girl that he makes his wife, and, like, his dad says, like, oh, her dad says, oh, you can't, like, see my daughter anymore. And it's like the next day or something, he's just on a horse really far away, waving at her from the distance, and then just disappears when the dad looks. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed this film a lot. Um, I I definitely wasn't as in love with it as Max was, um, like going off of his mm. um, rating on Letterboxd, but I did think it was great. Like, I didn't really enjoy the last hour as much as the first two hours. It's like one of those films where I don't think you can deny just how well made it is. Like, just on a technical level in terms of like scope and all of that, it's just like a a big feat what Mel Gibson was able to do with this film. Absolutely, um, very good looking film. Like for when it was made, it's an epic. It's an absolute epic. It's three hours long. It's a this huge scale. Um, all these moving parts, different like like ten, like thousands and thousands of extras they got here. It was written by a descendant of William Wallace, so like I think Mel Gibson tried to um, uh, get in contact and communicate uh, with a lot of uh, his descendants to see like how how it should be written and how uh, the movie should be made. Oh yeah, as Chris said, I love this movie. I I adore it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I I already sort of knew about like the kind of story that it was telling. It's not like it's based on a true story, but a lot of it is not accurate 
to what happened and i think a lot of scottish people don't like it for that um but as it stands and just from what i got out of it i thought it was a very fulfilling uh, experience for me and just i i mentioned like uh last episode about just like when you when you see a, like a great movie with some like really good sword fights or like set in this time it's like it's amazing it's really epic and i think that the the production is astounding i think that the acting is really good um uh william wallace uh played by mel gibson mel gibson said that he thought he was maybe like 10 years too old to play this character but uh, when all said and done i do think he puts on a really good performance and yeah i just um i i kind of expected to really like this movie but i didn't expect to like it as much as i did it's just like a classic tale you know you saying that uh, mal gibson thought he was 10 years too old to play this role um yeah that really showed when he marries this girl that in the in, like in the flashbacks is maybe four years younger than him um pardon me um and then when they grow up mal gibson has just like if they're playing the same like sort of like four to five maybe seven year age difference between them both mal gibson looks fucking old compared to her <laughs> Like, she looks maybe mm. early to mid-twenties, and he looks early thirties. Yeah. It's, he, um, it's, yeah. The, the character of William Wallace is meant to be in his, like, his mid-twenties, and Mel Gibson was near on 40 when they made the film. Yeah, you could... Yeah. Um, the problem is that there doesn't exist to be a lot of information about William Wallace from that time. There wasn't a lot of documentation, so a lot of it they did have to make up... Um, and obviously it is heavily fictitious, um, so I guess it just it goes with the kind of story that they're trying to tell. So I think a, a lot of what we see uh, from the character, maybe it has been made up, but I still, I still, am, I was impressed by the performance well, of it, and I think that he, he came just, across as very believable. Yeah, it's just the premise of the film. Uh, I mean, William Wallace was brittle. Obviously, he fought for freedom. That's the basis of the story. You have a start and an end how he starts, how he gets there. Obviously, if we don't have a lot of documentation about the person themselves, um, as long as you're keeping true to, obviously, who he was, what he stood for, and what he tried to do, I mean, I can understand taking liberties in the film can be a bit of an insult to some people, but um, I thought it was portrayed very well. Yeah, I think it's yeah. done really well. You can take well. as many creative liberties as you want when you portray, when you portray these kinds of stories, honestly. Like it's not like a it's not a documentary, it's a piece of like it's a film, um, a fictitious film. You know, like parts of it are based on real life and a lot of it is fictitious. But it just, I think, when you examine the film on its own as its own thing, separate from the events that actually took place, it just it it comes together very well. Yeah, there there are some incredible scenes. Like when you think of when this film was made and like the the battle scenes, just how many people they had on set at one time because this was like way way back in the, this was decades ago capable of inserting people like avengers for example you maybe have a fraction of the actual characters you see on screen the rest of it is just cgi'd i mean this was just all yeah, you, it was practical so when you kind of think you can do that you, scope of it yeah back in the 90s you definitely could do like a lot of rotoscoping uh, maybe it's not like as pristine as it looks today but like they didn't need to do that because a lot of what they shot was practical. Like they really did have all these extras, all these horses, all these like the, the weaponry and the the outfits. 
Um, I think when you when you look at like the horses um, like dying, I think a lot of them are apparently like no horses were harmed. So we've got, we've got that going for the film. Um, <laughs> and so like they've just like built these um, these horses uh, out of like different materials. And apparently, like if you if you look for it, you can definitely tell that the horses are not real. But I kind of wasn't looking at that uh, in in that way. So I just I'd never really picked out like oh that wasn't real that wasn't real it just all felt very authentic uh, especially because yeah. when you when you when you use practical effects that's the kind of that's that's the the thing that you command from the audience it's like what you're seeing is real yeah yeah well mel mel gibson was the... investigated by an animal wel- welfare organization because they were like convinced that <laughs> he used real horses and like he had to you showed him like yeah. videotape footage of the location showed that they were fake can you guys give me literally two minutes i need to answer the front door i don't think anyone else is in yeah that's cool i do apologize for that one of my housemates has ordered kfc and um they just left it outside this is the only annoying part about having a bedroom at the front of the house. If someone knocks the door, I'm just like, if I'm busy like doing this podcast, I'm like, do I really want to get up and ask that fucking door? Yeah, um, I'm the but exact same. The actor from In Bruges. Yeah. Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, He's in this. he was so funny. He was fucking hilarious in this movie. Um, probably because I just kept picturing him as the guy from In Bruges. But I loved it when uh, Mel Gibson came back to his like um, hometown after like years of being away and the guy's just like oh can you throw this rock and he just looks at us having this rock competition and mal gibson just picks up this little stone he's like if you can hit me hit me and he just throws this rock misses him and mal gibson just launches this little rock back and just twats him in the face <laughs> yeah calls back to like when they were throwing rocks as kids yeah and, uh, william wallace was the only person who could hear anything i yeah i i love like all the acting in this film, it was just really good. Especially Brendan Gleeson suits a ponytail. <laughs> Does. Yeah. This yeah. full, like, bearded, muscly guy. Yeah. Maybe if he played that role in, um, in Bruges, he wouldn't have died. Maybe. Rip. Mel Gibson is very good in the film, but I do feel like his Scottish accent can be a little bit iffy at points. A lot of people are, like, heavily critical mm. of it and say it's, like, like really fake and I don't think it's that bad like it's still decent but I don't think it's like super great or anything that no there's obviously I, I like one of my housemates is is Scottish from Glasgow I think and um like listening like as soon as I watched this film we we had like I mean a few housemates had dinner and um I was just like yeah Mel Gibson can do a Scottish accent, but it's nowhere near as genuine as the the real thing. Um, even just some of the phrases they use, it's some of it was a, not a lot of it, but just a little bit was was just a bit off. But then again, that's coming from someone that can't even do my own native accent correctly. So what the fuck can I say? <laughs> They're utilizing a lot of like old Scottish uh, language as well, like Gaelic. Um, that works its way into the movie very well. Maybe you don't understand what they're saying, but I think um, I never, I never got the like the sense that did Max uh, just call me dumb? Mel Gibson was like a. I never got the sense that like Mel Gibson was like a bad. Uh, he he did like the accent terribly. It wasn't like 
bad, I don't think. And I never really got taken out of the film. It was... With maybe sometimes his accent slipping. Yeah. But it just, yeah, it, it, that's not really what it was about for no, me. It was, it was it, more about, like, seeing these, like, huge fights and, like, the spectacle of, um, like, sacking these cities and, like, all the extras and just the, the, the epicness of it, you know? Yeah, of course, it didn't, like, bring the film down or ruin it for me. It was just a point that I had. Yeah. I think it's only going to be either actual Scottish people that notice it or, like, movie buffs, like, very critical people because because it weren't bad, like, not at all. I believed it throughout the whole movie. Like I said, there were some parts yeah. that were, were a bit iffy, but it's it's just, yeah, it's what it is. Mal I think if you're it. looking for things to things to pick holes in, you're going to find them, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Um... Fucking one of the most confusing lines in that film is when he's talking about, can I see your daughter? And they're like, no, it's raining outside. Know thee now. And he's like, no, now the no or some shit. And I was like, yeah, that sounds Scottish. <laughs> like, sometimes when my housemate, when I first moved into my current place, and I was like, first getting to know my housemate who's Scottish, some of the shit that she was saying, I was like, uh, can you Google translate that for me, please? <laughs> so it helped like, watching this movie, because a lot of the phrases I was like, yeah, I know what that means. Um, and it, like, just helped understanding it a bit more. But, yeah, it's a very fucking... Yeah. It's it's just a language that's just... Even though it's English, because of the phrases they use and just how fucking... How, how can I say it? Prominent their fucking accent is. It's very different to anything that we have. Yeah. I prefer that. I always prefer that, though. I don't want to. I don't want to see people like dumbing it down for an audience that doesn't isn't like immersed in that culture. I don't want to see that. Like, I just want to. Like, I had subtitles on anyway, so it really didn't bother me. Um, but if you're gonna portray this kind of uh period with these types of people who lived in this uh, area, then you're gonna want it to be as authentic as possible. Yeah, and I think that they they really did that. That's one thing yeah, like, that I don't um... get about the whole. Uh, sorry. Just want to say that's some four character in the Marvel movies. He starts off talking very old English, and just it drops after the first film. Yeah. So I'm glad that it was it was very authentic. That's something I love about um the film The Witch. Like all of that was written in old English, and it's really great. Like just the way it's yeah utilized. That is the film with the girl from love... um, New Mutants, in isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I just love the writing overall. I think it's really brilliant. Like the, some of these speeches are just like so enthralling. You just take take you away. Like um, obviously the big one is uh, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. And then it's like you're just <laughs> there. Like there's a lot before that. There's a lot before that. I didn't do the accent right. Sorry. You sounded um, like you were then... trying to do like a um very high pitched Mexican <laughs> accent. <laughs> they may take our lives, eh? They may take our freedom. <laughs> But Reed's new mutant voice. (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, like you always hear that line, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Um, And it's like, all right, that's the line that's synonymous with this film. You think of that line, you think of this film. Um, Or you think of this film, you think of that line. But there's a lot that comes before that in that same speech that's just so well written. That speech. And, like, a lot of... Carry on, sorry. it, It just hypes you up. It hypes you up for the, and it's like an hour and a half in. There's this huge battle, and I'm like, this is like a climax battle, 
but then it just like it goes on for another hour and a half and you're like oh my yeah. god and it just it doesn't get dull for me it doesn't get dull or worse it's just like that's the kind of that just that happens here and then we do these other things and it's not like it doesn't dampen what happens after it but it's like it, it feels necessary to be there you know yeah well back to that speech before he even says like they may take our lives yeah well, the the famous line it's like he just says like yeah you you can run away and you'll live but um when you you when you're on your deathbed um the years that are from now until then you would give up just to come back to tell your enemies that you want your freedom and i was like yes very well written yeah, even though I hadn't seen this film before, like watching through it, there was like so many lines that I've heard before, and I don't know where I've heard them from. There was just so many lines and stuff that I, I've rec- I recognise, I've heard. Maybe it's like parodied somewhere or quoted somewhere else. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff I've heard since then, which I feel like is just a testament to how iconic a lot of the film is. Yeah, I was so surprised at yeah. a lot of the quotes that I've heard. But to be fair, I thought I had seen the, I thought I had seen this film in school, but it was Macbeth. It wasn't this. Yeah. <laughs> before we let you leave, your commander must cross that field, present himself before the army, put his head between his legs and kiss his own arse. <laughs> I love that too. Wait. I like the I love, bit where like they're all on um, the Obviously the No, carry on. So I was just gonna say there's like this thing where the king, King Edward Longshanks, pres- um he goes to his noblemen. And because he's trying to take over Scotland, like bit by bit, I guess he's already in control of Scotland. Um, it's English occupied, but he's like, I don't even want there to be Scottish people here. So, as soon as the Scottish people get married, um, you go to them and then have sex with their wives, and then their children will be English, and we'll keep doing that until there's no Scottish people there. And that's like a horrible thing. It was like really like this visceral thing when they went and like captured. Um, this guy's wife, I forget his name. Yeah. Um, but then, like, he gets revenge on them afterwards. He's like, "Remember me? I never did any harm. Uh, it was my right. I didn't do any harm." Yeah. And he's like, "Well, I'm here to claim the right of a husband," and he smashes his skull in. It's so epic. Okay, I <laughs> like talking about that. I I love the scene where um, his the king's son's wife um is like begging for him to spare the life of uh. William Wallace, and the son's just like, no. So she just like kneels down to the king who can't speak at the moment, and she's like, your bloodline ends with your son, because obviously Mel Gibson's character had fucked her, got her pregnant. And I thought that was just so funny that he's, in the beginning of the film, he was saying, we'll breed out the Scots by um, stealing their wives on the day they're married. And then the end of it, she's like, yeah, I pretty much did the exact same thing, and your bloodline dies with you. And your son, mm-hmm. and it's like he's just like you can I'm just on. see he's so pissed off. Yeah, can't do anything about it though because he's basically dead. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> you can't talk. He's like I'm... dying slowly throughout this movie. The king. Yeah, I love the scene right before. There's a big battle where, um, like loads of the Scottish troops just like bend over a moon. The English troops. That yeah. just made me laugh. Yeah, after getting shot with arrows, some of their like own yeah. men are dead. And they just turn around and start showing their ass. It's like, oh, brilliant. And then they fire more think, arrows um, and Mel some Gibson of them haven't even like, um... pulled up their trousers yet. So you just see them with their bare asses out yeah. with like arrows stuck in them. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I think Mel Gibson went to like the set of like uh, Apollo 13, which was directed by Ron Howard or something, or like some other movies as well. And he was like saying that there should be like um, a best moonshot in 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 the Oscars category, and he would submit that scene for his. <laughs> they um, I gotta love the um the fight choreography. Like I think that the the fighting not only is it like there's this massive scale of loads of people there, but it's just really well executed. Like you see, like it's really brutal. Like people getting their faces cut off, like their heads cut off, and their legs cut off. Mel Gibson like, is just people, like, smashing people impaled. in the face with a sledgehammer and like batons. Yeah, it's really like it's just like oh yeah, you like get up and like scream in triumph with the movie. It's like really amazing. See yeah, I wasn't yeah. that invested in the movie. <laughs> oh, shut up. The I'm action not sequences stand up and start for... screaming. <laughs> the action sequences for me were what made me enjoy the film so much. Like, they're just so well done. They're so epic. And, like, I think Mel Gibson uses, like, the perfect amount of gore to show, like, just how brutal it is without ever getting to the point where it's just, like, cartoony or unnecessarily over the top or anything and I also love how um, like strategical a lot of the battle sequence are like I feel like in some lesser films like maybe you just like show just people running at each other with swords and it being super messy but there's like bits where they show like each unit like plotting their moves before executing them and that sort of stuff I just found really really well executed yeah definitely it's also just like overall a really lovely looking movie. Like the cinematography yeah. is just gorgeous. I think they shot it. A lot of it, most of most of it was shot in Ireland. Um, although it was like some of it was shot in, shot in Scotland, but you can't really tell the difference, honestly. But it just no. looks amazing. Like a lot of these like really gorgeous highlands and like the sunsets and all these great battle scenes. That they're, they're all just so well put together and edited. One of my favorite characters talking about Ireland was the the guy that came from Ireland in the film, the Irish guy. He was just... Stephen. Yeah, batshit crazy, just talking to God the whole way through the film. Just absolutely... He was yeah. so fucking funny. To Every time he was on like screen, I just like... I was like, oh yeah, I love this guy. He's so funny. Like when he when he shows up to Mel Gibson's uh, little campsite and he's talking to everyone, and they're like, are you talking to the Lord? He's like, yeah, they sometimes say that the... Um, uh, Something about the Irish talking to an equal, so they have to talk to the Lord. He's yeah. absolutely he was great. insane throughout the whole movie. <laughs> he was a maniac. He's like, in real life, that actor is Irish. Um, no, he's not. He's Scottish, but he plays an Irishman. And then in real life, Brendan Gleeson is Irish, but he plays a Scotsman. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> they probably gave each other tips on their accents, to be fair, then. Yeah. I think there was like something about, like, they wanted the... Um, God, what was it? Like, the Irish... There's a part in in one of the battles where before the Irish go onto the um onto the field and they just walk up to the Scottish people and start shaking their hands and like being all chummy and then they join their side. I think um in in reality the Irish actually fought against William Wallace. Yeah. Um, Mel Gibson decided to show the Irish joining forces with the Scots because modern audiences might be confused to see the Irish and the English on the same side, which I get, you know. Um, and the Scottish and the Irish actors also refused to fight each other anyway so they couldn't have done it watching this film it just made me dislike english people <laughs> that you bastards yeah. 
Why do you have to be such arseholes to the lovely Scots? Yeah. I love seeing movies that take down the English a peg. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only time I can ever start ever criticise um, a country or a race without being racist because it's my own. So you just got to be like, yeah, you bastards. Yeah. I um, I do have a couple of issues um, with the film. Um, one of them is like... Um, oh, go on. How... Wallace like reacts after his wife dies like although he gets his revenge he like shows like no emotion after her death he just like strolls up ready to kill I feel like it takes away any of the power that it's supposed to have like it's supposed to be like this really emotional scene because obviously his wife's dead it's meant to be the motivation for like the rest of the film but he just doesn't really seem to care at all does he see her dead body before he buries it don't think so yeah. Well, no, I don't think he does because I, I was watching the movie and I glanced down at my phone to check a message quick and then I looked back up I was like, oh shit. Like, cause he just strolls up on his horse and I was like, oh, I've probably missed the part where he's like told about her death or he sees like her body. So I re-round and it's not there and I was just like, oh. <laughs> and yeah, you never see him properly grieve. And there's a, there's a line in the scene where it's... um. One of his, his mate, the Irishman playing the Scotsman, I can't remember his name or his character's name, the ginger guy, where he's like, um, this isn't about like you being a good person. This is about you getting revenge. Or no, no, this isn't about like you standing up. It's about you acting like a good person because you think she's looking down. And um, yeah, that's kind of true, but I not once like you could kind of think that that was his ways of grieving, like doing all this for his wife but yeah i i and they didn't even spend that much time together on screen in comparison so i really didn't feel that emotional or that invested when she died which kind of took away from him doing all this for her because i was like well you've known her like 10 minutes you fucked her from this hometown for decades and then you've come back and then after like two days you're like i'm in love with you i want to marry you but then that could have been very sure Back in them days. Yeah. I, I feel that, definitely. Um, but I feel like the the point of like the rebellion was like that was sort of a catalyst for it. But I think the the, the crux of the rebellion was definitely because like that's like the straw that broke the camel's back, at least for him. Um where he's just like come back and like he's the leader these people need yeah. um to, to get out of uh, the, the rule of the English. So I didn't really mind that, but I understand where you guys are coming from. Yeah. Um, my other issue comes like right at the end. I just found like the ending a little bit cheesy. Like with Wallace, like, obviously he gets um hung, drawn, and quartered at one point. Um, when like right at the end, and just before he's like properly like killed, they're like, "Do you have any last words?" Where we'll like do you want to like yeah it's like do you want to like confess your sins or something and we'll like Beg end your mercy. life quickly and he yeah that's it and he just shouts freedom it just made me laugh and then they end this that was, was awesome <laughs> yeah well the thing is right he's like yeah if you beg for mercy we'll we'll end it quickly he says freedom in rebellions and they just end his life quickly anyway yeah. and then there's also yeah. like 
the last bit of the film where you got um, Brendan Gleeson throwing the sword and it's like spinning around in slow motion and then they start running and screaming. I found that quite corny as well. Yeah, mate, the sword just, he throws it and the sword just lands in the ground and you're like, brilliant. <laughs> but a lot of this, like I said, I watched the TV show Spartacus and I really like that show. So a lot, this whole film is so reminiscent of that TV series or vice versa because this came out before the TV series. But, like, the ending scene of this film is the exact same ending scene as Spartacus, where there's one of the warriors is, like, being killed, and he's, like, like in Spartacus, the guy's on a cross being nailed there to obviously die a slow death. Spartacus, in this, he's, like, on the bench about to get beheaded, and it's just, like, any last words, and they just scream. See, in this case, he screams freedom. In Spartacus, the guy just screams, and you're like, yeah, fair enough. All right. It is very cheesy. That sword throw. That sword throw wasn't scripted as well. I think they just did it on the day. Yeah, but did it actually land? Well, they cut quite a bit, you know. It's not like one fluid throw. I'm pretty sure they had to do it a couple of times. Brendan Gleeson didn't just have that sword and go, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to fucking launch this, yeet it at the, <laughs> the enemies. <laughs> they just happened to have a slow motion camera there ready just in case. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you never know what's going to happen on the set of a Mel Gibson movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Anything could happen in a Mel Gibson movie. I think like the, the, the parts that you guys are on about that, that you don't really like as much, maybe I felt that a bit, uh, but I think... Hey, I... There, there are definitely problems to this movie. I, there are. Obviously. I never... No movie's perfect. I never said I didn't like him. That was... Sure. Don't lump me in with that boy. But I think... Like maybe if I were trying to like uh like really delve into this movie, like the first time I watched it, I was just sort of immersed in it and the story that it was telling. So I I do acknowledge those problems with it, but and in the end I got a very um affecting uh experience with it. And I think it's it's something that I don't get with a lot of films. Especially not with a lot of um like movies set in this time period. I think a lot of them can rely too heavily on just like oh it's a cool sword fight we don't have to like make the choreography amazing but like just go along with it because it's cool and they're in armor so i think this just it does it as good as any film could do yeah i did really enjoy the film i don't think it's a bad film at all it's a very great movie there were just issues i had with it and i can completely understand people watching it and not picking up those things at all they were kind of more me nitpicking more than anything yeah i also understand like maybe scottish people will watch it and not really um, like certain aspects of it or how they portray different characters but i mean i'm not scottish so i can't really uh say that those things bothered me i guess um i like the portrayal of uh, robert the bruce i guess he's like this um huge figure in scottish history everybody loves him um, apparently people were quite upset with how he was portrayed. I didn't really get that, though. I quite liked him. Um, he's like this ally of William Wallace who eventually betrays him, but he sort of really feels bad about it deep down. And yeah. <clears throat> he's like at the end, leading the army. So maybe that could have been a little bit cheesy, but I just I enjoyed it anyway. Speaking of Robert the Bruce... He was a good actor. It was a good performance. Yeah. Speaking of him... There was a sequel in 2019 about him with Angus McFadden reprising the role, which I had no clue about until really? I was reading up on the film. Oh, wow. Really? 
Yeah, apparently it's not very I've saw, good. I've seen but... um, no, I've seen Outlaw King, which was um a recent movie, and that had um Chris Pine as Robert the Bruce, and a lot of people don't really like that movie. I like it. Um, it's just like it's fun, I guess. Um, and that's sort of how I understood a lot of what was going on uh, with the the historical aspects of this movie as well, because I I had already been acquainted with um, that character before, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think the way they portray the historical aspect and stuff and, like, the world and its politics is done in a way where it's quite easy to understand for the most part. Like, maybe there was a couple bits where I was a little bit like, okay, what's going on right now? But for the most part, I think it was pretty straightforward and executed quite well. Like, there's never a point where it's, like, overly complicated or there's too much going on, like I think a lot of similar films have done. Yeah. They don't like bog it down with like loads of like historical facts. I guess they just take what they they know from history and they try to make a movie around it. And maybe it's not supposed to be like a documentary kind of thing, but it's it's more to do with like the entertainment value thing. Yeah, in that ma- that case, it reminds me a bit of um like um the trial of the Chicago Seven, which we we're talking about doing the complete opposite where. They do like change things yeah. for dramatic purposes, but it just comes off as like like not very interesting because you don't have any emotional attachment or anything like that. Whereas I felt the opposite here. I don't, didn't really mind the changes they made because I was having such a good time watching the film. Yeah, people running around like literally like Mel Gibson throws a sword into a dude. Yeah, yeah. pierces through his uh, chest. It was like crazy, all these crazy stunts. They're so, so epic and just really interesting to watch. Like, I just, I love it from like a, maybe not like a historical point, but just like, I admire the technical aspect of it. Like, the choreography is amazing. Yeah, there's a lot good with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't have anything I like else when, um, to add. Campbell has like a, I'll just say one more thing. I like, like the scene when um, Campbell has like this, um, arrow wound in his chest and they have to cauterize it and he's like just like screaming and then he gets oh, yeah. up and punches a guy oh I fucking love that he's like I'll see you in the morning <laughs> oh so I do like the, the mooning scene they like get their dicks out and their bums that's really funny just a lot of like a lot of humour in this movie when I, well. when I was in school and I carry on okay, I'll tell the story after yeah so I was just going like, to go on to like the torture scene at the end I thought that was very intense as well so I think they they can balance these different moods yeah. very well. Yeah, taking him through like each different type of torture, like hanging him, getting him choked, and then um, courting him and trying to like get obviously getting the horse to ride off and overstretching his limbs. I, I, at some point, I was just expecting his shoulder to pop or something, and then just to show like the how intense that method of torture would have actually been. And then um, they yeah. just pop him mm. on the, the little table and behead him. Uh, it was good. But it's, it's just like, you can see the crowd change as well. Like, everyone's like, sort of, yeah, kill him, kill him. Also, and then, like, when they sort of see the severity mm. of the torture, they're just like, no, mercy. Like, they're telling him to show, like, say mercy. So they give him a quick send off, and he's like, nah. Freedom! Freedom! <laughs> Screams freedom instead. The the um real William Wallace, yeah, he was torn to pieces, hung, drawn, and quartered. His, his limbs were sent uh, to like the four corners of Britain. Yeah, his head says... was put on a spike and on the London Bridge. And you can see that in um Outlaw King as well. It's in that movie you see his head on a spike on the London Bridge. 
I'd, do, I'd like that. Yeah, they were like, yes, it's, it was a warning, but it didn't have the intended plan that they were looking for. No, because then Robert the Bruce, I think he, he just allies a lot of his forces and he, um, he wins, wins the war. <clears throat> yeah. Really interesting part of history. I mean, it's a shame that there's not more uh, known about uh, at least William Wallace and who he was as a person. I would like uh, to see like yeah. maybe a documentary about him. Yeah, early days there weren't. It's like the 13th century. So I think a lot of the information may have been lost during wars that may have happened and cities being destroyed. And um, obviously a lot of the people that did know William Wallace probably died in battle. So there's not really many of their descendants that can tell stories of what their ancestors have told them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go through like some of the trivia that I found out because I think it's quite interesting. Apparently, like several of the major battle scenes had to be reshot because the extras were wearing sunglasses and wristwatches. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, what an oversight. It's like the old Starbucks cup in a Game of Thrones yeah. and the water uh, bottle. Um, apparently, several frames of the uh, film were removed at strategic points in the battles in order to produce a jarring, startling effect. I definitely felt that, for sure. Yeah. Um, what else we got? There's just like this big thing about Mel Gibson saying it's like it's about cinema. It's not about like the historical context of it. He says, um, some people said that in telling the story we messed up history. It doesn't bother me because I'm giving what I'm giving you is a cinematic experience, and I think films are there first to entertain, then teach, then inspire. Uh, there probably were historical inaccuracies, quite a few, but maybe uh, there weren't. Who's to say? <laughs> Because there was very little history about the man. It wasn't necessarily authentic in some of the stuff I read about him. He wasn't as nice as he was on film. We romanticised it a bit, but that's the language of film. You have to make it cinematically acceptable. Yeah. So, I think yeah, that's I think... that's a big thing whenever you're doing anything with history. Um, it's, 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 it just, it's not going to translate perfectly to film. There is some dramatisation yeah. that has to happen to it in order for it to be entertaining. And like I said at the beginning of this review, as long as they're true with the intentions of what was portrayed in that event, take it, take a bit of liberties, do what you will with it, make it a little bit interesting. Make like because the way I see it, if you make a film interesting that is like eighty-five percent historically correct, there's a lot of people that are going to be seeing that that maybe wouldn't have known about that situation, and the only reason they've carried on watching the film is because you made it somewhat interesting by changing a few of the historical details that don't really impact what the outcome in a major way but just it puts it out there to a lot more people yeah a lot of these old heroes from history were also bastards you know yeah so <laughs> like horrible people and maybe maybe they exist in people's minds as doing these great things but in reality yes they did these great things but they were also like human beings and they had a lot of flaws about them yep because especially like back in those times there's a lot of the things that they did there that were completely acceptable that absolutely would not be acceptable today so um should we get on to the ratings mm. yes yeah right i think we all know what this one's going to be out of Mel there we go no chris don't be silly <laughs> um yeah this is a great movie it's just a really really well made epic film great action really good acting it's just a good experience altogether i have my issues with it and i don't think it's an amazing movie or anything um 
but yeah, it's still a great movie, and I'm going to give it eight freedoms out of ten. Come on, give it mm-hmm. a bit more passion than that. <clears throat> I'm afraid that's I all I have. This movie. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I wasn't expecting anything more, to be um, fair. <laughs> I'm definitely more passionate about this movie than Chris. It just hit all the right, uh, all the right things for me. Um, and it, it, I, I agree with Connor. The time just flew by. It did not feel like three hours at all. And I'll definitely watch it again. It's um, definitely my favourite movie depicting that that period in time. And yeah, I just it's like it's very simple kind of plot wise, I guess. But there's a lot of interesting technical aspects to it um, that just make it incredibly epic. And you probably should watch it. It's it's in like the uh, 1001 movies you must see before you die book. So yeah, and a lot of those maybe maybe a lot of those are, are not that great, but. So maybe that's not a great indicator, but honestly, this is absolutely incredible, and it, I adore it. So it won the it... Best Picture Oscar, didn't it? <clears throat> yeah, it did. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to give it ten freedom. There we go. That's what we're after, Chris. <laughs> we should have uh, all done the review in nothing but terrible Scottish accents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only, mate. How long before someone just broke down? And it just became amalgamation between. British and bad Scottish. Um, I think that would have so been what it was a... from the beginning, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, would have made it a bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, this is another one of those films where I was thinking that I was going to be slightly bored. I I didn't go in thinking it was going to be a bad movie, but I was like fucking two hours and fifty eight minutes. I was like, this is going to drag. But you know what? It flew by. I will agree with Chris slightly that the last hour, or the the first two hours, are definitely better than the last hour. That's not to say that the last hour of the movie was bad. It just slowed down a fair amount, um, which yeah, I was a fan of, but it just didn't intrigue me as much as the the first two hours. I liked Mel Gibson in it. I liked all the acting in it. Um, it was fun to watch, entertaining, and I would highly recommend that if you haven't seen this movie, that you uh, watch it. It's on Disney Plus, so uh. You can watch on that. It's just it was a good movie, very good movie. So I'm gonna give it eight freedoms out of a uh, ten. I don't know what accent I just tried doing, but Lovely. freedoms. <laughs> this is eight freedoms out of ten. Should have just got my um housemate to come in and say it for me. I'm giving this eight yeah. out of ten. So my recommendation this week was Arrival, starring the girl from Man of Steel and Jeremy Renner. And many other actors and actresses that I do not know the names of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this film follows uh, an alien arrival um, that they need uh, the... What's the character's name from Man of Steel? I mean, her real name is is Amy Adams. Her name is Amy Adams. That's it, Amy Adams. So Amy Adams' character, Louise, is brought in as a linguistics expert to translate what this alien race are trying to say. Um, They're trying to find out why they're there. And uh, the alien race bring, I'd say, knowledge um, to humans as a weapon. And basically the whole film is just about uh, Amy Adams' character, Louise, and Jeremy Renner's character understanding what the, these aliens are saying. And um, uniting the the Earth, I guess, working together. So um, what do we think, boys? They're trying to figure out why the aliens are there. That's like the big question. Yeah, I said that. Um, this is one of my favourite movies ever, Arrival. 
as I said in the previous episode, is directed by my favorite director, Denis Villeneuve. Um, he's an amazing director. He's one of the best working today. Arrival is just, it's one of those movies where I can watch it over and over again and never get bored of it. I just, I find more to love in it. And <clears throat> it's like based on this short story called um, Story of a Life. And they were going to call it Story of a Life. People uh, didn't like that. Test audiences uh, didn't like that. So they renamed it Arrival. Um, this is like, it's very unique, uh, to, like, we talk about, like, how, like, terrible alien movies are, uh, like, there are only, like, a handful that are actually any good, and a lot of them are just, like, schlocky, uh, like, generic sci-fi. This defies all of that entirely, and I think Denis Villeneuve has created probably, well, my favourite alien movie ever, but just generally one of the best alien movies Ever. I won't yeah, disagree with you. I there. completely agree. I am um, like you, Max. I'm a huge fan of Denis Villeneuve. I think he's the best director around at the moment. Um, and this is one of my favourite films by him. I saw it for the first time, I think, if not last year, it was the year before when I was getting into his films, and I was just completely floored by it. Um, it's a film I've been hearing a lot about like since it came out. Like, um, when it came out, it wasn't like a huge box office hit, but it was like a film that everyone who saw it loved it and was telling everyone else to go watch it. And I just never got round to it. And then when I watched it, it wasn't what I was expecting in the slightest. You know, I went in expecting like an alien invasion movie. And what I got was a film where it's kind of more about, well, not even more, it's like, at the same time as being about aliens coming to Earth, it's kind of about the character of Amy Adams that she plays. It's all about her and her memories and how her future is like, cause she can see into the future because of the aliens and it's like that, having an impact on her decisions and stuff like that. Yeah, so, she, yeah, she masters the language and uh, she said, once you've mastered the language, you... Like, because the alien race itself doesn't... As you master the language, you um have the ability to obviously see the, see the future and all stuff like that. And so the film starts, obviously we put a spoiler warning in the description of all these reviews anyway, so if you don't want the movie spoiled for you, skip the next, like, five watch minutes. Yeah, I watch just spoiled it anyway. Back. Yeah. So the beginning of the film, and this is one thing that I fucking loved about this, because this was a really good movie, and the only reason I recommended it is because you guys have spoke really highly of it. So I was like, ah, do you know what? I've not watched it. I like Jeremy Renner. Amy Adams just seems to play the same character anyway, but she was good in this. Um, so the beginning of the film starts with Amy Adams, like the death of her daughter. And then throughout the film, because I assumed that happened at the beginning of the film. Like, that was before any of this started. Like, she had a daughter that died, she investigated this alien thing, fell in love with Jeremy Renner, and they had another kid. But you find out throughout this movie that the beginning of the film is actually what she sees in the future. And um, so the film isn't as linear as is how the alien's time goes, it's it's not linear. So I think that worked very well. And when I clicked and sort of realised that the beginning of the film is actually what she 
sees in the future and why her and Jeremy Renner's character end up splitting up in the future. I was like, ah, that's really good. Like, it, I did not see it coming. And it wasn't a twist, but it was just a very good, like, in my head, I was like, oh, I understand it now. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like a revelation that makes you completely rethink everything that came up until that point. I watched yeah, um, yeah, literally. Chris Stuckman's I watched Chris Stuckman's review earlier and he said exactly that. There's like a third act revelation that made him completely rethink the first two acts and it made him appreciate what had come before a lot more than he did while he was in the moment. Yeah, and I think that was just that's, that's... such a great fucking thing to have in a movie because not only does it change how you see the movie, but it changes how you see the movie whilst you're still experiencing it. And then that just continues to add and add and add, and um, it yeah, it's it, it it's just incredible how how it was done. And I like the also... fact that it's not like the traditional alien film where it's so focused heavily on making like showing you the creatures themselves and all this destruction. And it's something that I think, obviously, Max, you're a massive fan of War of the Worlds. I think mean, it's something that War of the Worlds did as well, that although they have do have a, a focus on, obviously, the aliens that invaded, it's more down to the character characters themselves and how they experience yeah. the invasion and how it affects them. And um, the same thing happens in this film where, obviously, Amy Adams' character, Louise, is starting to understand the language and she's just having all these vivid memories and flashbacks which aren't actually flashbacks but flash forwards that's also like um when when you find out that these events have taken place in the future and that this movie is not linear that's kind of thematic and it's represented in how amy adams herself finds it out and um how the the aliens the heptapods perceive time to be they made the actual language that they mm. that they use in this the heptapods used. It's like um, just these like circles with different points on them, and then um, it was developed uh, with uh, a lot of people. Um, and like, there's just I love when that much detail is put into a movie. When like you just you delve deeper into it, and it's like, well, there's even more to understand about the film, and it makes the the, the viewing experience that much more uh, like rich when you go back to it a uh, second time or a third time or a yeah. fourth time. And it's like it's one of those films that it, it, you you can benefit from uh, further viewing, but the the initial viewing is also just like just as powerful. There are some really incredible lines in this movie as well. That it's like when Jeremy Renner's character mm-hmm. is talking to Louise. I still don't know. I completely forgot Jeremy Renner's character's name, but it's he's talking to Louise. Ian. Yeah, Ian. And he's like um talking about the theory of if you immerse yourself in a language and you fully adapt to that language it changes how you see the world and your perspective on things and that is true of different cultures around the world and then then like you when i heard that i was kind of thinking like well maybe all the stuff that we've seen is her having dreams that are influenced by these events and then there's another um, line that Jeremy uh, Ian says later on in the movie where he's narrating and he says these amphipods are able to create complex sentence within seconds and he's talking about it's almost like trying to write a sentence with both hands you need to know the start and the end 
the spacing between the words, the width, the length, the size of these words, and it's like it's just these subtle things where they're giving you hints. Like you need to know the big, be- you need to know the end to understand where the beginning is. And there's just so many clues pointing towards um, what is actually revealed in the third act in this movie. Yeah, I love the inclusion of the Sapper Wharf word, Sapper Wharf hypothesis, which is um, a principle suggesting that the structure of a language affects its speaker's worldview or cognition, and thus people's perceptions are relative to their spoken language. It's very like once once Louise learns this language, her whole worldview is changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um. But it's also it's a movie it's a movie about aliens, but it's also a movie about like um like language and it's very it's a very human movie. So there's a lot to do with like how people communicate, how the how we we communicate maybe with the aliens that um they're seeing, how we would communicate with them. I found that to be a very realistic way that we'd go about it. It's just a very realistic feeling movie, um, that I don't think you get with a lot of sci fi. But it it also highlights how we communicate with each other and how we how different countries communicate with each other. Like, we can't even communicate with other countries. How are we going to communicate with, like, beings from other planets? Yeah, I was about to say, it also shows, like, just the primitive nature of our species. The fact that, um, and this is one thing that has always annoyed me about any movie that is trying to understand an alien species themselves. It's, um just how naive and impatient the human race can be when it comes to like they're trying to yeah. teach a species a whole new language and the guy's like yeah we need answers now we can't take weeks we can't take months to to learn it we need it now and it's like you have no idea like just how like it takes years to fully master a language here on our planet let alone trying to teach and learn and understand a new language of an alien species. And then it's the whole, like, all the um, 12 nations shut themselves off for one another. They can't communicate in any... Uh, like, Louise says it well in the film. She's like, how can we communicate to them if we can't if we can't even talk to each other? Yeah. yeah. It's it's definitely a lot, a lot with um, how we use language. Like, they say language is the first weapon drawn in a conflict. And they're just... They're constantly um, going over, like, how like language has affected different areas of um, of humanity. It's like um, in the beginning, uh, they they come directly to Louise and ask her um, if she can make sense of the the alien noises. She's like, well, I can't make sense of it because like it's just an audio recording. Um, she asked if they were going to uh, go to some other guy, uh, and they said, well, we might. And she says, um, ask him the Sanskrit word for war and its translation. And then he says it's like, um, I forget what he says, um, but she says it means a desire for more cows. So there's like this, this disconnect here where like language is perceived differently uh, to different people and um, how, it, how when, when they're learning the alien language, like it means different things to them than it could mean to the aliens. There's a great scene when Louise is in the, um, the compound and she's trying to um, get uh, Forrest Whitaker's character to understand why she's asking uh, such ba- using such basic ca- vocabulary with these aliens. She like writes a question on a board, which is like, um, uh, "What is your purpose on Earth?" She has to break all these different words up and how how the words are used in a question. What is a question? 
what what is the word your is it like is it possessive your or is it you are you know and they got to under, try to understand each and every word of this before they can even like and how these words are uh, used in language it's like when you're learning a language first of all you have to learn like what each not each word means but like what what the different types of words mean in a sentence and it's like it's very it's replicated in in this um sort of almost impossible situation where they're trying to communicate with the aliens where it's like how do you even go about this yeah yeah definitely i love um the attention to detail when it comes to like the scientific element of the film like you watch a lot of sci-fi films and like the people will be saying all this like technically like complicated like scientific jargon most of which is like almost definitely made up words that mean nothing but like they had a clear attention to detail to make everything like make sense and they um, took extensive efforts to make sure like the scientific ideology was all completely accurate like they um, consulted a couple of like renowned like scientists and made sure like all the terminology graphics and depictions and everything that they were using were all accurate and realistic and i think that adds a lot to the film it makes it feel much more realistic than say something like close encounters that we watched not that long ago something like that or et yeah or et yeah it's just like et <laughs> no so i just googled and um, the scene about the transcript or transcribe of the um, word war in that other dialect. And yeah, Amy, Pasca- uh, Amy Adams' character says um, a desire for more cow. And the other guy who she said to ask the question to um, transcribed it or interpreted it as a disagreement or argument. And... Um, kind of shows why they obviously went for her because if you have someone coming in um that is already on the offensive foot and this is brought up again in a different way when she asks the colonel if um other nations have been communicating with board games and if that was the case the only understanding that the alien species has is defeat victory win loss confrontation that sort of stuff so, like, yeah, I got an A in English, so I I do love language. So this film was like, I didn't, I, I fucking love alien films, and I'm really like, I love writing and stuff like that I just don't do it. Um, and so this movie was like two fronts for me. I was like just watching all this stuff, like learning all of these new terminologies, and um, like the non, was it non? Fuck, what was the the thing that uh. The daughter asked the mum about the, um, just because one side loses does not necessarily mean the other side or the opposing side has gained the non-something. Non-zero something game. That's it. She's saying, yeah, she's saying about how, like, if you come to, like, a disagreement, but you, like, you can compromise and, like... Both parties win. uh, You both get something out of it. Yeah, the non-zero sum game. Non-zero sum game. I just thought it was all really interesting. And all this stuff, like Chris has said, all this stuff is true. The stuff that they were saying is stuff that you can look up and there's no, like, fucking made-up words to make it sound confusing or fancy or so you understand. Like, same thing with, like, 
I know I've said it a lot, Marvel movies, they all make up so much shit just to make it sound more scientific than it actually is. But then you get a movie like this where it's so grounded and you don't need all that nonsense to make it interesting or to make it seem yeah how it is. It just is interesting enough not to. It's the premise of the film. Yeah, definitely. I love yeah, um I read it. I love the way things are like slowly revealed like a mystery like it's like slowly as the film progresses they like reveal other like small bits and it's like the first half's like very very suspenseful and tense like scenes of like Amy Adams first talking to the aliens and like barely understanding anything and slowly piecing the words together that's those bits are super tense and I think the sound design and music in those scenes are just absolutely incredible and it really adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. There's like um the first session is like really short when you're just introduced to the uh the aliens. You just like you get to see them. You don't really understand what's going on. They're just like trying to figure it out themselves and then they get out of there it's like like a two minute kind of thing. Um but I wanted to ask like what you guys thought of like the build up to it because I thought like, it's just a very good build-up um, before you actually see the aliens or even, like, the ship. Itself. I will say um, this get, like, section of the, on the, TV, the movie but... was probably my favourite. So, mainly just the, um, like, film filming of the scenes. So, when you first see the alien spaceship, there's a, a very long one-take where it follows the helicopter, zooms, shows you the ship, zooms around, shows you the compound, and then the the um the helicopter landing, that was really good. I, I thought that was a really nice scene. Everything just looked so authentic. It's a word. But then what I think is one of the best scenes in the film or best camera techniques is what I said to you guys um the other day that I had to Google is when they actually get into the ship, and the characters are in focus, but the background just seems to extend like an illusion like it just continues yeah, to get wider and i think that's just meant to like put you into how much of a jarring experience this would be for them i mean they've just defied gravity for christ's sake yeah mm-hmm. but yeah the build-up was was amazing i i loved it i thought it was very good yeah i'd agree Then the first act like it's just super suspenseful even before you get to the actual like seeing the spaceship or anything like just like amy adams about to teach a class and like everyone's phones are going off like even those bits are quite suspenseful yeah you don't really know what's going on when she gets out like the alarms go off she gets out of the uh the school and like the planes just zoom past car crashes into something um you just like you get like these glimpses of what what could be going on or like on you see like on the the news people are going crazy yeah like maybe you see a little bit of the spaceship but not all of it and it builds up to this like really fantastic shot like on I, when they're panning over the montana site and you see the yeah. ship i i love scenes like when she leaves the school and she's getting into a car and she's seeing obviously the planes flying over i love scenes like that in movies it's not done in very many movies to show you from from that perspective um, take Man, uh, Man of Steel and then Batman vs Superman. Man of Steel, you don't really see it from the perspective of the people, but in the beginning of Batman vs Superman, you see it from Bruce Wayne's perspective. 
about how all this destruction and what it does to the people down below, the people that aren't in the spotlight. And then, like, Marvel briefly do this in some of their films when they're in Civil War, when they're showing footage um, of the civilian perspective on, like, the New York attack, the Sokovian attack, all that sort of stuff. And then um, the post credit scene for Infinity War when um, Nick Fury and the other character are driving down, it gives you a very human reaction of, like, the plane crashing into the building and all this sort of stuff. And I, I really liked that part of the movie. It just uh, really put me into the shoes of what it would be like. Even though you don't see the spacecraft itself, you just see all these planes flying so close and low to the city that you're just like, yeah, this is quite spooky. <laughs> yeah, you get this sort of imposing feeling of, like, threat. Yeah. Even though, like, the, the aliens themselves are not, they're not threatening. They're supposed to be, like, trying to be friendly with them. Um but like you, you cause because you don't know what's happening, you get this sense of threat. You get the mystery that comes with it, and you don't completely know what um what's going on. It's like the fear of the unknown type of thing. I I like that you do get a human perspective of these things that are going on, even like throughout the movie when uh, Louise is in the compound. You know she's cut off from everyone else that's outside and who's not not allowed to see like the the ship. All these civilians, you get like people on the news talking about how the people are coping with it um like then they don't think the government are doing the right thing about this or um and it's very like you see from like the, an inside perspective how that's making them feel they're all very tense um they don't really know what's going on either um there's a scene where like some soldiers plant a bomb in the ship uh to try and blow it up because they're just like i don't you don't really get their reasoning but you understand like from what we've seen of the civilian reaction people like rioting and looting uh going crazy about it you kind of understand where they're coming from there's like that whole sequence with um like session 36 part two that's great i just like this ticking time bomb while louise and ian are um in the ship still and like she's making the symbol with uh the heptapod abbott and just like spraying and then like all these symbols get sprayed on the screen and then they and they get like pushed out and the gravity shifts and they're like just hovering there as the bombs explode such a great scene yeah i i really like that that was really suspenseful because it like at at first when i was watching that i was like are they going to kill off these two characters or like i had no clue what was going to happen like when she's making these symbols with them it's just a very tense scene because it keeps going back like when they walk into the ship um it pans across and shows you the timer ticking down and then walking past it um, and just not really noticing. And then them just hearing the gunfire behind them and they're like, oh, what's going on? And then that happens. I like seeing like the different countries' reactions to the aliens as well. Obviously, yeah. we, we get primarily uh, America's uh, Montana site. That they're, they're trying to relate to the aliens or they're trying to understand exactly what they're saying. Um but then we get like China's perspective for like a big part of the movie. They're sort of, I think they're playing like a mahjong with with the aliens. And like Connor said, it's just like this. Um, this when you communicate through only opposition, you're only going to get like a an an opposition type of conversation. And you're not there to have a conversation. You're there to just be enemies. Yeah, from the get-go. I think every every and, nation like, will have a different um, way of uh, communicating with them. And, like, the Chinese choose games, like I said. 
um, confrontation, yeah. opposition, win, loss. It's just this whole film is, yeah, how you communicate. And she breaks down, like, she's like, they're, yeah, she, so they're asking, like, how long is this going to take or whatnot? And she's like, well, this is the question we want to get to, right? And he's like, yeah, and she's breaking everything down. They need to understand what a pronoun is, what a question is. We need to understand whether they know what the purpose of a question is, whether they're um, consciously making decisions or whether it's just instinctual. And she's just like breaking down this whole phrase and it's just like, wow. Like, yeah. There's obviously, there's the part where China declares war against the aliens as well. And because you, you understand because they've been playing these games with them instead of actually trying to communicate, like you understand why they feel threatened and how this is, like this is like a problem they've created for themselves, or the aliens themselves are not inherently trying to harm them, but it's like this fear of the unknown that people have. Um, they just they make an enemy of things they don't understand. I will say, if we ever do get invaded by aliens and we speak another language, I think it will be the rash decisions of either the people or the government that will cause <laughs> a retaliation or us to go extinct. <laughs> I'm calling it now. Yeah, <laughs> we are a very primitive and stupid species. Like, we can't even fucking work together on this bloody yeah, planet. I love um, Send an asteroid, the music Jesus. throughout. Kill us all. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, love I the music love the throughout. I think it's movie. by Yo... Is it Johan Johansson, is it? Pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, he's like... He was one of my favourite like film composers. Sadly, passed away not long after this film came out. Um, but his score throughout is just like... It's very subtle, but I think it's great. And I especially love, um, there's that final violin melody, which is performed in like a palindrome way. So like every, if you reverse it, it would play the same like notes and everything still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thematic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. well, obviously there's like, like the elements of palindromes in the film. Storytelling. Yeah. It all just adds to it. It's like making a good mix. There's a blend of everything and the, the music just really added to the atmospheres. Yeah. I love the inclusion of um, the song On the Nature of Daylight by Max Richter. That plays at the very beginning and then at the very end as well. It's such an, a strong emotional song. And that, like, placing that song twice in the movie, once at the beginning and once at the end, that's also, that ties into the whole um, kind of loop thing that they're going with, with, like, um, the alien language, which looks like just circles and how time is perceived as well as non-linear um there's one thing i'm not um... really into about the film um and that's jeremy renner's character i don't think he really adds anything at all like i don't think his relationship with amy adams is that fleshed out and just generally as a character i don't think he's really that fleshed out in the overall story no, I noticed while watching it that I don't think his character really added much to the no. film. I mean, I, I, it was a, he was a scientist, and you see him work maybe two or three times throughout the, the movie. I kind of think he was just there to uh, trade uh, philosophies with Amy Adams' character in order to really flesh yeah. her out. I mean, there's the part where they first meet, and um, he talks about what she's wrote about how language is the the first thing. Um, what did you say, Max? What did she say? Language is the first... 
language is the first weapon drawn. Yeah, in he's conflict. like, uh, but you're wrong. It's science. Um, but then you don't really see much of that science throughout this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't mind Jeremy Renner in this. Um, I think he's maybe he's more of a character for uh, Louise to sort of bounce off of because otherwise she'd just be talking yeah, to herself. Yeah, so definitely. I get his purpose in the movie. Yeah, you don't. You obviously you also don't get like a load a load of stuff from uh, Forrest Whitaker because like obviously he's a higher up. He's not going to be helping with her with uh, this kind of thing. I just think it's um it makes sense that she'd have someone there to help her with it because she's obviously she's not going to be like this lone lone soldier doing no. everything. I do yeah. think though Jeremy Renner's character had some of the most interesting lines just from what he said and what he, the questions he asked. It just made me think like do you dream in their language and then the knowing like writing with both hands and knowing the future future as well as the present it's, yeah some really good lines mm. i love the dream sequence um where he's he's saying that he's like um do you dream in their language and then she's just like clearly she kind of does as, as she gets more accustomed to the heptapods uh way of speaking in their language she obviously does start there she, that's when they talk about um the Sapper Wharf hypothesis as well. Um, so you get to see that in action and how it's sort of changing the way she perceives uh, reality and time. And then like, I don't think they, they, they were initially going to put that dream sequence in the movie, but they, the editing, uh, when they edited it, uh, they just put it in there and it made sense. There's like a, a lot of like, there's like a weird cut from like Jeremy Renner's face to like a different angle of Jeremy Renner's face. I just I really love that. It's just like it's quite jarring. And then obviously, um, Louise like looks into the corner and says like oh, I don't think that may- means makes me unfit to do this job. And she's talking to like the heptapod, and it's just there in this room. Just emits that like droning sound. Really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Amy Adams is really great in the film as well. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of her generally. Like I think she can deliver good performances. Yeah. I just think it's more I don't really like a lot of the roles she picks more than anything. But she's incredible in this film. I think it's probably like her best performance I've seen in a film. I agree. They they wanted her for the movie. They would not settle on anyone but her. They were she was her their first oh, wow. choice. Yeah. Yeah, she really fits yeah, the role. I think. Yeah. She was the only other thing that I've seen her in, obviously the D C movies and like until like the third act, I was just watching this movie. Like, yeah, you're sharing a lot of the same characteristics as your character from the DC movies. And I was quite afraid that she was just at that point typecast to play the same role. Then, as it got into the third act, and you really start to understand the film. And this is the whole thing about what you're saying about like you have a revelation. It just makes you think of the film a different way. It made me think of her acting in a different way. And I was like, oh, do you know what? Nah, I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you sort of you understand after that revelation that um, all these things that she's been doing, that she's been saying in, in on the Montana site at least, they're they're not like directly influenced by her having lost this child because that happens in the future. So you 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 are forced to rethink a lot of what what you've seen. Um, How do we like the um the design of the aliens? I love them so much. They're like. One of the like they're so different from any other like alien design that I've seen yeah. before. Yes, yeah, refreshing to I see love something the way that they... isn't just a grey person with a big head and no clothes. Yeah. And just like I love the way they slowly reveal its look over the course of the film. Like 
they sh- they show it in like little pieces at first, but then as it progresses, you see more and more of it. I think that's really well done in the film. Yeah, most of the movie you're basically seeing half of them. Yeah, because they're covered in. Yeah. like they're so huge. Yeah, they're like so huge, and like the um the window itself is only um the window in the ship is only there to communicate this language. It's not there to show the aliens themselves. So when um Louise is um sort of like taken up to the spaceship to there behind the glass, you see like the entirety of them and you see that they were like only half you were only seeing like half of what yeah, they, they were. were. Huge. And I think um the Yeah. It's just like really great design, really great CG modeling as well and the textures looked amazing. Um I think they were they were based on whales. They were the the design of the aliens. And I really, I do get that. Yeah, I every time you saw them, when you think back of it, knowing that they're designed of whales, when you go back to yeah. composition, score, that that sense with some of the sounds that it makes, because they're very, I wouldn't be surprised if they had just yeah. taken whale sounds and manipulated them. Um, yeah. Well, here's the thing with that. It's like, I, I watched all of the um, uh, behind the scenes footage of... Uh, what was available on the Blu-ray? You see, like the sound designers, they put so much effort into how these aliens would sound. They like went up like a mountain in New Zealand to capture like different animal sounds to use. It's like really crazy, and like you get yeah, it shows. It's definitely really unique, weird, yeah. And I think what I found very impressive was that they found a way to differentiate Abbott and Costello, the uh, heptapods, from one another. So, like, um, one of them's got, like, a sort of deep, droning voice, and <clears throat> and the other one has, like, a sort of, like, a clicking, clicking kind of voice that sort of, um, yeah, like, sort of clicks, or, like, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I would do, like, an impression, but I don't think just, that would, that would I've just Googled well. the, um, the aliens from, obviously, Arrival, just to see if I can get a picture of them up, and E.T.'s popped up again. <laughs> E.T. That little Mate, bastard. Every time everywhere. I Google something, there's he's, just a fucking picture of E.T. somewhere. He's the new mascot for the Sunday movie marathon. <laughs> E.T.T.E. <laughs> I just love the way that they were able to like incorporate the alien design with um, the language that they were trying to uh, put on display on on the screen yeah. as well. So like you get these like big tentacles, these seven tentacles, and like they come out and they expand into more tentacles, like fingers. And like this ink comes out like a like an octopus. It's really interesting. And yeah, it just creates a a symbol that just means. Because what is it? The, what do they say? They they don't write sentences. It's like just uh, an Im- I don't know. I can't really remember what they they were saying. Semi-graphic. Yeah, yeah. The one. Yeah. It's um. Their writing is semi-graphic. It conveys yeah. meaning, but it doesn't represent sound. It has no form or direction. It's like um to do with non-linear orthography. I think it's called anything to add. Um, Is ch? Mm, no, I've gone through all my notes. I didn't have a lot for. I just got every time I watch this film, I just get so sucked up in it. I forget to note anything down. So yeah, I'll definitely be watching this film again at some point. Yeah, I love um when Louise goes into the the ship. And um, she has a conversation with Costello. Um, they've sort of, and then you you realise that she can completely understand what they're saying. Mm. Um, 
without the need for all this computer technology because she's essentially yeah she's the fully understood and the it worldview has been changed they're like and they they understand her as well um so she's like um they're saying like um she's like where's abbott and i think costello says something like um abbott is death process which is basically like the way of saying he's dead he, he was dying um so yeah and she just understands that without the need for a computer and i love that i love that so much um what is it i just love that conversation like in in and of itself because it's like it's not like a normal human conversation you get like um <clears throat> the subtitles for what they're saying but it's like um like a kind of just weird different phraseology than we the way you yeah. do it's like um there's like this whole thing where they they've said offer weapon and what they don't understand is like it like they could confuse the word weapon for the word tool like it's kind of the same thing but this just gets people in like a tizzy well, really it's the whole it. interpretation like, of the language really isn't it um what what you're immersed in yeah, is, is yeah. your view and uh yeah some people some people yeah. will see a weapon as a tool a hammer can be used as a weapon but it also is a tool they use that in the film as well if i give you a hammer everything is nails yeah i love um just uh costello saying um like basically explaining what's happened to her she's like he says um or it says uh, Louise has weapon, use weapon. And she's like, I don't understand what you mean. And then he says, um, we help humanity in 3,000 years. We need humanity help. I'm like, whoa, that's like such a trippy moment. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Where you sort of, it, it all comes together for you and you realise that they, they experience time in this way. But she doesn't even, now the, she um, doesn't even click when does. she's speaking to him. It's when, when she comes back down and she's like, Jeremy ran it, uh, Ian's like, grabs her and she, he's like, are you okay? And she's like, just having all these like images in her head and these memories that haven't happened yet. And she's like, oh, I understand why my husband left me. And um, he's just like, y- you were married, and you're like, ah, oh, she's understood it now. She's got it. Even the scene, yeah. it's really even sad. The scene where she, um, so there's the the point where she it goes to the future when she finds when she speaks to the Chinese general. And he's like, um, I don't know how your mind works, but I think you needed to see this. And it's just his phone number. He's like, I'll never forget what you said to me. And she at the time, which is in the future, has no idea what he's talking about. But then in the present, she knows exactly what he said and what his number was. And she's like, it's just that whole nonlinear thing that she's not experiencing time in the same way as what she used to. That's a fantastic scene. That's like one of the best scenes. Like the music usage is absolutely incredible. It's so emotional. I it's just like such an emotionally resonant scene for me. This was like the first time I cried at this movie as well. <laughs> I just it took me over. It was amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I that's pretty much everything. I've really enjoyed this movie. I've got nothing else to to add. No, me neither. Yeah. Again, this is this is a movie that I could talk about for ages. <laughs> so should we get onto the review of the movie? Yeah. Let's do ratings. Right. This one can be out of um Abbott's because he was the best alien. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah, not really the best one if he died, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could could he be? Yeah. If he's dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fucking hell, Chris. That's almost as controversial <laughs> as when you were on my podcast and said that's almost like being gay. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, this film's fantastic. This is like one of the best sci-fi films of the last twenty years, in my opinion. Just a really Wait, well written, incredibly well. De- it could be <laughs> a documentary of the future. Yeah, just a really well made film. Incredible directing, cinematography, music, acting. Just a an incredible film. And I'm gonna give this nine Abbots out of ten. Nice. Um, I think I made my feelings on this movie clear. This is one of the best sci-fi movies ever. It is absolutely one of my favourite movies. I will watch it until the day I die. Um, yeah, everything that Chris said. The cinematography is amazing. It was like supposed to feel like a like a rainy day, like a rainy Tuesday, and it just it definitely feels like that. It's like it's it was very realistic. I feel in the way that um, everything was handled and the 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 way that our world would respond. To something like this, I just um, it only gets better every time I watch it. Um, and if this doesn't prove that Denis Villeneuve is one of the best directors watching uh, working today, I, d- I don't I honestly don't know what to tell you. This is just it resonates with me on so many levels. I get so emotionally invested in this, and it's just the design of like the ship and the aliens are so unique. I think they'll go down in history as like some of the most like interesting designs for aliens that that we've seen um and i just love that it's just very um unique and very out there it's not something that we've seen before in sci-fi um all the acting is great it looks great the uh, music is fantastic um and the storytelling and structure is just very just something i've never seen before uh i'm gonna give it 10 abbots out of 10 of course yeah um this movie was... I'm glad I recommended it. Um, it was just fantastic. Everything about it was really good. I'm just, It was just so refreshing to watch an, an alien sci-fi movie that was nothing like I'd seen before. And just going into it and... Wait, I came out learning... I came out this movie smarter than when I went in. Just learned so many terms from this movie. <laughs> so fucking strange. Yeah. Um, and that, that was part of what drew, drew me into it. Just how realistic it was, like you both have said before. Um, or we'll watch this film some point throughout this year again, and it is one of the like you guys have said one of the best sci-fi movies I've watched, second to Pop Star Christmas, but it's definitely a close second. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. so I I'm gonna give this film a ten Abbots out of ten. It was really good. Highly recommend you watch this film. Nice. Wonderful. I think in about Fantastic. 15, 20 years' time, this is going to be like considered an all-time classic. Do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was part of the um, 1001 movies uh, to watch before you die book, but they yeah. um, redacted it a couple of years back. It's a shame. I'm sure it'll go back in. Whatever. You don't need a book to tell you that it's amazing. Like you said, you. some of the movies in there... Are... to tell you what to get out of a movie. Like you said, some of the movies in there are bad anyway, so what's it matter? Yeah. <laughs> So, what's everyone's Rex for we episode should also point 20? Out that, just wanted to point out that this was um, all 10s from Max this week. Was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Holy shit. Flawless record. This is a great week for yeah, me. Yeah, you must yeah. have fucking loved every movie. <laughs> I did. I, yeah. I think I gave it that? quite high ratings, apart from the four that I gave um, David Lynch's film. Yeah. yeah. So, on to next week's recommendations. Um, I was going to pick a really bad film next week, but I think I'll save that for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> just because I'm feeling generous. 
Um, so this week oh, we thanks. talked about a film from my favourite director. So I thought, why not pick a film from my second favourite director next week? Because a load of his films got added onto Disney Plus through that star thing. My pick is the 2014 film The Grand Budapest Hotel, directed by Wes Anderson. Lovely. Yeah, I saw um, a lot of his movies have been added to Disney Plus as well. I watched him. Um, uh, I've only seen like one of one of the. I've only delved into one of the movies so far, um, but I do like Wes Anderson as a director. I think he's freaking fantastic. Um, but I watched. Um, oh God, what's what's that one that I watched, Chris? The like they went to India. Darjeeling or Limited. Yeah, I watched the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, put me in the mood for something like uh, of that kind of uh, place, like in India. Yeah. India set, I guess. So I'm going to recommend a movie that I've seen once before, but I really enjoyed. Uh, it was recommended by my grandmother, of all people. Um, but it is a 2016 movie directed by Garth Davis called Lion. Mm. Oh, nice. I've been meaning to watch interesting, that. Interesting, interesting. Mm. Um, right, so I'm going to go on the trend of uh, just recommending movies that I've heard you guys talk about that I haven't seen yet. So my recommendation for next week is going to be Inception. Yeah, Ooh, it's a movie that I've been meaning nice. to watch for a while. When I saw it on Netflix the other day, as I was scrolling through, and I was like, "Yeah, I uh, yeah, never seen it. It, it. I I know it's going to be one of those movies. I'm going to have to try and watch it twice before we do the review for next week because I have heard so many times that it's a film where you need to watch more than once to really understand it. So I'm going to try and make an effort of watching it." Once yeah. over the weekend, and then once on the day that we record the next podcast, just so I'm fresh, like refreshed on the movie itself. Yeah, definitely give yourself enough time with that one. It's like two and yeah. a half hours long. Well, not as much as Braveheart, but <laughs> no. no, not quite. But I think really. I think mine yeah, and Max's we... films are like ninety minutes, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what lion? Yeah, it's now like 90 minutes long. I swear it's quite a short-ish film. I could be completely wrong. Um, God, let's see. How long is Lion? Is It's two hours long. Okay, well, still not super long. No. But yeah, uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening to episode 19 of the Sunday Movie Marathon. We do, of course, have our social media pages. Uh, YouTube, the Sunday Movie Marathon. Uh, Twitter, at Sunday Movie Pod. Facebook at Sunday Movie Marathon and Letterboxd at Sunday MM. And we actually Thank now so have much. an OnlyFans as well. <laughs> <laughs> where we just no, post we the raw DVDs of the DVDs. We post some raw stuff. <laughs> Thanks for watching. <laughs>